prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? did not What kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'd be in a museum. I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now. Episode 38 of Gutter Boys. Gutter Boys is a small press podcast about the highs, the lows, the ins and the outs of something. <laughs> I am Cam, uh, here with my co-host JB, who usually does that part. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's up, everyone? What's up, Gutter Gang? Gutter Gang, 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 Gang. Yeah, today we're going to do our thing here, but on the back half of the episode, we have a rather lengthy conversation with uh, Rachel Dukes and Michael Sweater, who are hot on the release of... Uh, uh, two books over at Oni Press. The Wizard was done by both of them, and Rachel also just put out The Wizard as well as Frankie Comics. But, uh, you know, until we get there, we're going to go ahead and do what we do, and let's get into some comic news. So to start with the news, uh, we do have, unfortunately, some very bad news to open up with. A lot of listeners probably know this already, so it's not breaking news, obviously, but cartoonist, illustrator, toy designer, sculptor, amazing guy in general, Ralph Neese. Unfortunately, passed away two days before Thanksgiving. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a very sudden loss. He was a fairly young guy who lived in Germany. Friend of the show, Alexis, has worked with him a bunch of times. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's a real shame to lose someone like that who I, I think just had his hands in so many niche things. He was involved in comics, did a lot of illustration work for people, especially a lot of toy stuff. It, it really did come out of left field, and I'm still not really processing it yet. It's a shame that we're losing such a distinct talent and voice like Ralph, because he was one of the best doing it. There really wasn't anyone doing the kind of work that he was doing. I, I really loved his work because I could point to the things that I could tell influenced him. And obviously, he was involved with a lot of uh, smaller toy manufacturers and producers and artists and stuff like that. So, it, it really, really sucks. And uh, all the best to his friends and family. I can't imagine, especially just two days before Thanksgiving, on top of all the pandemic stuff happening and not being able to see your loved ones realistically. I mean, because I know some people did anyway, and well, we can get into that later. But uh, I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say. It's, it is a huge loss, and he will be greatly missed. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really sad that we won't ever see the body of work that I know he was going to produce if he, if he was still around, because he had. He wasn't even getting started. I yeah. Think. And I mean, I, I, you know, you look at the guy's Instagram and, you know, even a few weeks before he passed, he was like posting stacks of notebooks that were just from this year and like, you know, original drawings and everything. And it seems like everything I've read online, he was one of those dudes that was like 
your favorite cartoonist, favorite cartoonist. You know, everybody yeah, just absolutely. loved the stuff that he was doing. And yeah, really incredible work. He's an incredible talent. And, you know, our heart goes yeah. out to his uh, family and friends. Yeah. And then on top of that, he was a good dude. He was just a genuinely kind, thoughtful guy. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's one thing to be really, really talented and skilled and produce amazing work. But then on top of that, also to be as kind and, and decent as he was, it's just... I don't, and I don't know. I don't know. But instead, we have Dan Slot still fucking breathing. Like, I don't understand <laughs> this fucking universe, man. It's fucked up. Alrighty. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of Dan Slot, he is uh, currently on Twitter because what else is new? But uh, defending himself because uh, Marvel put out a documentary over on Disney Plus called uh, 616 or Marvel 616. And they had an episode about like what it's like to, you know, work in comics at Marvel. And yes, you know, I'm sure there's some embellishment because it is a documentary produced by Disney. But yeah, documentary uh, is a very loose term here. It's a commercial. Yeah, right. You know, I've always seen clips online, but pretty much like like they just made Dan Slott out to be this horribly late, you know, writer that's always like causing his artists to meet tight deadlines. And they played it off in like a tone where it was like, you know, I guess endearing. But yeah. the thing is, is like Dan's coming out now because people were attacking him online, just being like Dan can't hit his deadlines, blah, blah, blah. And people were trying to defend him. But the thing is, is Dan is notorious for not hitting his deadlines. And this is actually very much a real thing from people that we know that have worked with them before. And also, it's I feel like it's not really a... a a kept secret, you know, like, yeah, but yeah, so Dan's getting pissed at everybody and blocking everybody on Twitter. Uh, he blocked me before all this went down. So, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. And that's just because, uh, he was tweeting about Kamala. <laughs> I was just, uh, <laughs> tweeting back at him and <laughs> he got pissed at what I had to say. So, but, um, yeah, I haven't actually seen the episode. Have you seen the episode? No. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I have no interest in saying that. <laughs> Apparently, uh, it paints him as like addicted to Twitter, which he is. I mean, the guy name is notorious for name searching. Oh, he's extremely online guy. Yeah. yeah. So online to the point where he has alienated like his friends from having such a toxic online personality and attacking people that, you know, review his work badly. But of course, you have like a lot of these guys who are standing up for him being like, well, everybody's just mad because Dan created something memorable. And it's like, eh, well, you know, I don't give a shit about that stuff. Let's jump to DC and uh, their resident clown over there, Tom King. Tom King. Very cool guy. Yeah, very cool CIA guy. Really cool guy. Tom is uh, putting out a new series called Batman and Catwoman or Catwoman and Batman. That might not even be the title, but it's about Batman and Catwoman. But he has said online that they fuck in the book. So I honestly didn't even know Tom King was working on this book, but I do kind of like that his marketing of it is Batman and Catwoman fuck, which like, I guess his last run on Batman, they were supposed to get married. I mean, is that all this book is about? I don't know. I didn't read any solicitation material or anything like that, but he is just tweeting about how they fuck in it. I'm sure that'll get the readership up. Yeah. Uh, what they need to do is uh, who is the guy that would do like the horny Mary Jane Spider-Man variants and they would sell like millions of copies? You know what I'm talking about? You mean like Michael Cho? No, it might have been Michael Cho, but no, I don't think it's Michael Cho. There's like a guy who like draws Mary Jane that all like the Spider-Man fans and Dan Slott jerk off to. And it's like, that's like, I feel like who you're marketing to, I guess, when you're saying that Batman and Catwoman fuck. Because I have no interest in looking at comic book characters fuck. That just doesn't do it for me. I'm not a hentai guy. Are you a hentai guy? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Hell yeah. Tentacles? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Bat wings. Bat <laughs> J. Scott Campbell. 
I don't you know. He did a cover know. for an issue of Spider-Man where uh, Mary Jane is sitting like uh, has this unrealistic body and like just tits out with a cup of coffee. <laughs> like you've probably seen the the cover. I feel like it's a pretty. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not ringing any bells, but I haven't, you know. Yeah. I haven't been. I'm not a Wednesday guy. No, I think. That, you know, yeah. So I think this I was like like 10 years ago at this point. Oh, OK. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I think didn't they already show Batman's dick and that got shot down? Yeah, uh, yeah, they they had it in that Batman Damned book. He was just undressing in the Batcave, and it was just a dick shot. And then I think either they reprinted it, and it was like blacked out, or they just like didn't reprint it, and then they blacked it out for the collected edition. But they tried to show his dick, and then like everybody got mad. Like it sold a lot, but then DC editors or whatever got mad, or the hmm. the higher brass. Yeah, well, and and also, I mean, like, I was reading one of the Black Label books that was, like, Constantine. And, I mean, Constantine was already, like, if you read Hellblazer at Vertigo, I mean, this is not anything new. But, I mean, like, the dialogue in the Constantine book was pretty explicit. I mean, it wasn't drawing Constantine, like, fucking anybody or naked or anything. But, I mean, it's like, if you could talk about this stuff, why can't you draw a dick in a book? You know, like, I don't understand the logic there, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking of, like, who is their target demographic, and it's just, like... 30 something version. Dude, it has to be. You know, so. it'd be real sick is if Rorschach crosses over into this Batman Catwoman book and like ends up cucking Batman. That'd be pretty sick. That'd be yeah, good. Yeah, Tom King just, they could, you know, do the crossover. You have to buy multiple titles. Does that mean they're going to finally introduce Come Eats in her Gordon? <laughs> God, <dude. laughs> Look, if you're trying to hire a writer, I think I know one. Yeah. <laughs> For Batman? Yeah. Uh, well, Batman, actually, uh, have you seen those drawings? Do you know Josh Simmons? He did that book, Mickey, that Riley from Power Trip edited, but he's done a couple books over at Fana. He does, like, really crazy, like, fucked up horror stuff. I don't think I've seen it. No. Yeah, I think you might like his stuff, but he did. He does these, like, for some reason, he gets multiple commissions for drawings of, like, Batman and the Joker fucking. He did a really cool Batman bootleg story called Twilight of the Bat about both of them being homeless. And like, it was just pretty fucking wild. Yeah, I heard that was really good. Yeah, it's good. But he uh, he always like posts these commissions of like the Joker and Batman fucking and they are amazing. Like, <laughs> now that's a cover. Yeah, that, that's how you sell a book. Yeah. <laughs> Those are great. But yeah, that that's who uh, you should hire to draw this fucking thing. Then I would I would read that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if if you're going to just show me like generic softcore hetero porn, that sounds boring as fuck. Mm -hmm. I can get that. From a fucking Glade commercial. Yeah. Who cares? But Joker getting his ass blown out by Batman, fully uncensored. Now that will move copies. And you know what the best part about Josh's drawings of that stuff is? Is like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why like this amazes me so much, but like he draws the Joker with pubic hair and the Joker's pubes are green. And of course they'd be yeah, green. Course. But like, yeah. I just never thought that the Joker that, that tracks. <laughs> have green pubic hair. <laughs> I mean, the twisted, like, Heath Ledger Joker wouldn't, I guess. Yeah. I could see that Joker going full shave, man. And and this is, <laughs> if, we had, if we had ads, this is where we would do Manscaped. <laughs> what if he just shaved one? No, that's Two-Face. Two-Face would only shave one side of his pubes. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, when like, before he got scarred, he shaved, like, every other day. Yeah, the Riddler would uh, come up with some uh, convoluted riddle for you to have to... It's just like a maze that goes into his ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 Fuck. <laughs>
Who's listening to this? He's like, I'm enjoying this podcast. I'm glad I subscribed and told my friends and loved ones. Yeah, we're we're ramping up to hopefully launch this Patreon in like three weeks after this drops. And this is what we're leading up to the drop of that with. Just get a taste. This is the content. Just get a little taste. That's all you get, you peasants. Oh. Okay, moving on. One last bit of news. And it's not really news per se. It's just more something that annoyed me. Go off. (laughs) Somebody sent me a link of something that uh, Donnie Cates, Coates. Cates. But you you say Coates. We'll call him Donnie Coates, Coates. but it's Donnie Cates. Okay. So, Mr. Coates, I guess, like tweeted something and I went to go look at it, but he blocked me. And he'd been following me for a while, probably since when we first met. Is he a Chicago dude? No. Okay. I don't think so. Uh, Yeah. And we would just like have minor interactions after that because I... (laughs) What situation we have anything to say to each other beyond running into each other at a show? So I, I just muted him and didn't realize that he blocked me. Like, I, I, I don't even know when he blocked me. So he, it could have been like months ago or two days ago. Who knows? I, I don't know. And so similarly, how you got mad when Eddie P blocked you, mm-hmm. this got me heated. Yeah, because it's like, what's what's the what's the grounds for this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What what was it that like triggered him so much that he had to hit the block? Mm-hmm. And then so I logged onto a different account because I run you know the Hardway thing and the Gutter Boys account, yada yada. And so I went to go check the tweet, and it was him posting just the most out of touch lib brain bullshit I've fucking ever seen on Twitter. Yeah, just the dumbest shit. It was some sort of like. I've got it right here. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so Donnie tweeted, on Black Friday, I so rarely take the time to sincerely honor or take pride in my accomplishments, but today, Black Friday, every single year, I celebrate the fact that I do not have to work at Best Buy like I used to on this day. Now, this is really tone deaf. (laughs) I mean... Yeah, dude, people have to go to work during a pandemic. I don't think that applies to you in any way. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you're you're sitting here like gloating like, I, I'm so glad I don't have to do this anymore. Like, I mean, it's just privileged bullshit. Like, so what I did, I'll just go ahead and talk about this as well. I quote tweeted this. So I took this tweet and I wrote, <laughs> I am in the trenches today working Black Friday at Best Buy so I can buy another crossover variant cover to get graded. That's his new series crossover. I'm praying that I get a 9.8 off the shelves for all this hard work, Don. Fist emoji, like, you know, respect. And this motherfucker couldn't see that I was like fucking around and replied with the prayer hands. So it's <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah, like that's great. Which like, you know, we were talking about this off air, but like that's probably what that dude's mentions look like, sadly. Wouldn't when that Ghost Rider was in space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He needs to just go ahead and team up with Pisker and do uh, Venom Grand Design. And Holy just, shit. Yeah. <laughs> God, if they teamed up and put a book out, I would actually buy that. <laughs> I would I would seriously buy that. I would buy every issue and I would collect them all, put them in a book. And if I ever needed a good laugh, I'd just pull it out of the shelf and flip through it. Well, and here's... Okay, so my only interaction with Donny Cates, uh, Donny Coates, is uh, I was working <laughs> at a Comic-Con he was at and he was tabling right next to Neil Adams' table where I was working at. And uh, he was hardly at his table and he had some lady there, which might have been his wife, who like his fans would keep coming up with like, you know, stacks of books in their arms to get him to sign. And... She she would just be like, yeah, he'll be 
back here in a little bit and the dude was just gone and I don't think he was on any panels or anything like that and when he did come back he was like I don't know he looked like Machine Gun Kelly or some shit like just this fucking lame ass dude in a leather jacket like feeling himself too much it's he's definitely a dude that got bullied in high school yeah and, and now like, he's cool this is him making up for lost time yeah well and I don't want to he was charging ten dollars a signature to sign his Wait, name on a book charging people for a signature the first book or something like that was free and then certain books cost like certain like if a book was i guess selling on ebay or some shit he was charging uh-huh. more but it was like ten dollars a signature and the first one was free and i was kind of just like i'll see older cartoonists do that like old guys do that and i guess i can kind of down just sad no health care yeah no, it's <laughs> no like retirement yeah, yeah yeah it's like okay i get why you're doing this because you have right. to but donnie right, cates is getting yeah. these like fat fucking royalty checks from image and fucking marvel and his advocates don't forget the advocates yeah like so what you advocate to spend more money on this guy yeah he calls his fucking fans advocates advocates like yeah, they have like a forum or something which is uh, dude it's gonna be like the it's gonna come the warren ellis forum <laughs> oh yeah, yeah that's they have similar you know what actually i think all marvel writers have that vibe they they all have the like weird overcompensating egotistical tiny guys. Oh, you know so what I mean? the, the Stan Lee syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, no, I'm actually cool and good at this. Yeah, I don't really yeah. do shit, but I'm here. But look at me, look at me. And, and the thing is, it's like, yeah, Donnie's writing Venom, but the coolest part about Venom, the character, is how sick he looks. And like that guy who's doing the Venom book, fuck, what's his name? Um, Ryan something. But who? Ramon Villalobos. Yeah, shit. Give that book to you or Ramon. Yeah, no, I mean, like, you know, to me, the book, you know, Venom's always going to look kind of cool, but I don't know. I don't really... I picked up like the uh, first couple issues of Venom just because it was like a new number one to check out, but I didn't follow it. It was just, you know, whatever. I think I have one issue that Brian Level did, and that's because he gave it to me when we tabled next to each other. I do have that. That was like a, a tie-in. I bought that because I saw him tweeting about it, and I was like, oh, okay, sick. The one about the dogs? I think. Yeah, it's like the symbiote like a- like, wraps around the dogs, and like the dogs, like it's like three dogs that are just like infected by the Venom symbiote or something like that. It was pretty sick. I, I think so, yeah. I mean, Brian's an amazing artist. Yeah. He can draw fucking anything <laughs> but yeah that was that was my only real run-in with his book or his writing i don't know like after we met i was just like i don't like if you come up to me and the way you introduce yourself is i'm writing the next big thanos book or i'm doing xyz for xyz that's not your fucking name dude i don't fucking care who you were is that for. what he did to you yeah he did that with everyone oh shit what a fucker sorry this go ahead, like but- this was like 2016 <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Besides that and him butting into uh, my circle of friends because we were smoking and he didn't have anything. So listeners, if you're not familiar with what a Chiba Hawk is, a Chiba Hawk is the guy that butts into your friends group, your circle of friends that are smoking just so that they can get your weed. Mm-hmm. They want nothing else from you. You have zero prior interactions and it's just a behavior that they seem to think is okay. Being a Chiba Hawk, from what I can tell, has no class distinction, but it does make you a shittier person if you're well off 
and being a Chiba Hawk. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's that guy, if that gives you any idea of who <laughs> who Donnie is. Donnie Coates probably pays 75 and eighth <laughs> for his weed. Like he's one of, you know, those like memes like where they're like the white dudes getting mad because they find out they've been getting ripped off for weed prices. I don't think he buys weed. I think he gets his girlfriend to buy the weed and then he smokes it all. Oh, OK. I think he's that guy. Gotcha. Well, I could just see Donnie just getting his head busted if he was trying to buy a bag. <laughs> Like, you know, those kids like, I mean, okay, I'm not a weed dealer anymore, but I've done my thing back in college. And there were some people that you charged an extra $10 because you knew. Oh, yeah. You know, he's definitely the guy you charge a little extra. Yeah. Oh, you got you've got the special daily deal that we got going. Yeah. Yeah. So I I just I don't know why I got mad when when that first happened. But now I just think it's funny. Yeah, I mean, because it's just bullshit sometimes. Like, you'll just find out you're blo- like, f- it, this might have been blockchain shit, but apparently, even like indie comics darling Richie Pope blocked me. Fuck Richie Pope now. I thought we were cool. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to him like maybe twice. Yeah, he was always nice to me, but I'm just like, I guess I said something to make this guy mad. But yeah, or it could have been blockchain shit. I don't know. But I wasn't as upset about that one because, you know, whatever. Mm. I do say some pretty stupid shit and I do stupid shit, especially now. Yeah, now that you're on the gutter boy train, you're like full tilt. Yeah, I just don't give a fuck. I mean, I don't plan on I don't see myself ever working for these places and i mean yeah we talk shit the only places i want to work are like fanographics or drawn and quarterly or like cool independent publishers and i mean fanographics and drawn and quarterly advertise us and we talk shit about well with fanographics we talk shit about one of their biggest cartoonists and they still advertise us so i mean obviously that's not gonna you know well you know i feel like uh, small press is maybe maybe this is too broad a generalization but my feelings has always been that the small press people are way less how do I put this? They're less corporate HR yeah. than say Marvel or DC. Cause over there, like it's it's very much about these like bootlickers. You gotta be a bootlicker if you want a job over there sometimes, man. I don't know yeah. about DC. I mean DC seems way more chill than Marvel, but they definitely have their problems. But it seems like Marvel's like fucking wild from what I've heard in a bad way. Yeah, everybody has to play nice. Right. Uh, you, you know, you all have to say positive things about Biden. <laughs> and and then you have to draw Kamala Harris for some reason. Yeah. That's that's just corporate policy. Yeah. We don't make the rules. Well, and the best part is like we have friends that work there and they'll tell us they're like, y'all are fucking crazy for posting this shit. And they like and agree with what we post, but they can't like interact with it online. Yeah, because they know because they would get in trouble. <laughs> If they hit the heart on that shit. It's like being in elementary school. Yeah. It's very, very strange how they handle things there. And it probably doesn't help that their their editor in chief is that's another weird thing. Is like like all this being super careful and trying to be very, very PC and, you know, use this HR language. But then you have the editor in chief that has a paper trail of him pretending to be Japanese. That and I mean, all, like all this it with dance, like the big wigs there, are CB, you know, and Dan Slott has a lot of stroke power, too. So going back to him, you know, there's all kinds of stories about him, like being like fucking terrible to like women writers and artists that were at Marvel retreats and like talking down to them. And then also Dan Slott apparently lied to get his internship, which led to his writing gig at Marvel. So it's like him and CB are just these pieces of shit. If you want a real honest snapshot of Marvel writers and what they're like. Just follow one at a con when they go to concessions and see how they treat the person working at concessions. There you go. Because I can guarantee you they are going to be insufferable. Mm-hmm. Just the worst pieces of shit. Yeah. 
And they're going to think that, like, they deserve special treatment and whatnot because they're, like, a guest at a con. But it's like, dude, nobody really gives a shit that you're there. You're there for, like, semantics. Like, the cons they're doing, it's, like, the movie star and the B-list celebrity shit. Like, those are the people that are going to get the special treatment that these writers and artists think that they... Not artists, but uh, not all of them. You know, not every writer, not every artist, but just what you normally see online. Like, but yeah, dead-on analogy as far as, like, how they treat other people. Like, of course, they're going to turn it on and be cool their fans but yeah like as far as like the common folk yeah it's well it's just it's just a very specific type of guy that works there yeah and it's yeah it's just super fucking weird and it's like i with Dan Slott, you know, attacking people that review his work badly, you know, there's even on the DC side of things, you know, there's even stories about Scott Snyder from Batman, like emailing people that reviewed Batman issues and gave them negative reviews being like, can you please change this or take this down? And then like when people don't agree to do it, they like bury them online. You know, it's this weird fucking mentality complex thing that these writers in this example get. And it's just, I don't know, it's fucking. A lot of them get like that. A lot of them are super touchy about criticism. Which is really funny because like, all right, go go make a book then. Yeah. Go make a book. Yeah. Without an artist, go make a book. Yep. You fucking lazy piece of shit. <laughs> I, I, it's just the... I, I fucking hate writers, man. Like, honestly, if it wasn't for Aubrey, I would just outright say fuck all writers. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, it's just, I can't. Man. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm really in that can. book too. And the only, like, way a writer gets respect from me is if you're a cartoonist. Like, because I can see, like, you know, like, if I wanted to write for another cartoonist or another cartoonist wanted to write for me, that's cool. As long as you can draw. And not even that you can draw. Just if you're willing to make a comic and willing to draw your own comic if you can't find an artist. You know, like, yeah, that. Yeah. So, to me, I'm willing to work with somebody like that. But, yeah, if you're just a writer and i know i've never said that guy's name but i actually looked that guy up another enemy of mine writer is that his name is pat kindalon kind i don't know he did some books over at black mask but he's the guy that uh oh, so he didn't get paid <laughs> <laughs> he's the one who uh was like uh he he i didn't even tag him i made a tweet this was months ago about how artists should be credited before writers on comics i think that should be common practice because usually if especially with the big two and image and whatnot the writer always gets first it's usually writer a huge title and then everyone else's name in, in little font right yes underneath so it. the people that did the heavy lifting on the book and you know made the book what it was i'm not saying the writing doesn't matter but comics are a visual first medium the visuals you know the visual team is always credited like second rate yeah yeah just to clarify we're not saying writers don't matter yeah we're saying they don't matter as much as they think they do yes i tweeted out that you know they should normalize something like crediting artists before writers and this fucking dude pat kendallon or whatever quote tweeted it and was like i only do this if i'm asked to and if i was asked to i would have to be given a good reason and i was just like what the fuck like how do you even have this logic and then he said usually people were like he has a lot of twitter fans because he was in some kind of hardcore band apparently mm -hmm. but he was you know just tweeting about how if a artist wants to be credited first on a project that he's working on with there's usually an, an ulterior motive and i'm like what fucking motive is there like are you really this like insecure in what you do that like getting credited first fucking matters so yeah so, yeah it's it like is. <laughs> because these are these are people that are like getting paid not much who you know can't unionize they have really no 
say in terms of like what type of material that they can do. It's it's just the Here's a product, make make something out of it. Without the fucking artist, these writers might as well just be writing fan fiction on Tumblr. Yeah, and honestly, that would probably be more interesting than what they're doing. Oh, yeah. You heard it here, folks. The gutter gang. I mean, all, most of these guys are fucking crazy, though. Like, I don't know if you if, if I don't know if you've ever heard any stories about Rick Remender and how he is as a person. Like, he's fucking nuts. He's a uh, sociopath. Like, to his fans or like... To, to his artist. everyone. He is a crazy person. I saw that he was like uh, tweeting, like backpedaling, like maybe Trump was good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's funny. No, but it's like it's guys who have to constantly rationalize that they're the ones responsible for why things take off or are, you know, successful in comics. Mm -hmm. And they have this like weird sense of self-worth that, I mean, I guess these people aren't really, there's no frame of reference because you got to think. Their biggest like interactions with their fan base is at cons. And what type of people are at cons? Just dudes Incels, in droves. Dorks. Well, yeah, it's just dudes in droves so that they can get their long boxes signed. Yeah, dude, they have the little fucking like backpacks on wheels with comics. Yeah, it, it cracks me up. <laughs> yeah. So if you had that kind of like exposure to your fan base, then of course you'd be fucking insane. Of course you would mm -hmm. think- you're the second coming of Christ because you just had like 2000 unwashed guys that all look the same tell you that reading your book was the first time they felt anything or, <laughs> you know, it's just it, it's fucking demented. But yeah, my my buddy Brett, he was working uh, the CincyCon, which was run by Tony Moore and Kara Fairfield. Revender was there and you were there and Zerit was there because I remember I went just because it was like 45 minutes from me in like 2016 and I remember seeing you there at CincyCon. I mean, yeah, I think this was around 2016 as well. 2016 or 2017. I don't, I don't really remember. Anyway, my, my friend Brett, who was working for the con because he's, you know, we're all friends with Tony and he's wanting to help out. So he was responsible for wrangling all the guests at the airport and then getting them to the shuttle buses and vehicles mm -hmm. so they can get to the convention center and their hotels and whatever. And I guess, you know, one of the guys that was there was Rick, who was one of the guests and has worked with Tony plenty of times and Brett, he's not a comic guy. He's not even a super fan. I mean, he likes art, but he's, he's you know, just there to work the show. And uh, he goes to get Rick Remender and they've met plenty of times prior to this because, you know, because of Tony. When he goes to meet with Rick, but this guy was like so incensed that Brett wouldn't suck his dick right there in the airport that he had to fucking check him. And that kind of like quirk in a person I see in most Marvel writers, past and present, yeah. mm -hmm. they all have that same weird fucking tick in their brain where they have to remind you that they're a big deal and you're not. So it's weird because it's got to be like the culture of working there. It's got it to be. It, yeah, yeah, it has to be. It has to be. I mean, I would assume that there'd be somebody working higher up that whose pay grade is high enough to say, shut the fuck up, you know, mm -hmm. but I guess not. I guess that's not how it works. But even other guys like the older gen writers and artists and whatever, they get weird too about this shit. It's just like, yeah, they come to the Jim shows. Shooter is a fucking weirdo like that too. I've worked with him and yeah, they, yeah, they, he's... they come to the shows, they're wearing their fishing vest or whatever the fuck. <laughs> And they just, I guess it's because like between like the, just the regular day-to-day -day life that isn't comics related and then immediately jumping into something like a convention that's specifically for fans, mm -hmm. it's like their moment to shine. Yeah. It's the one time of the year 
where everybody isn't constantly shitting all over them for being pieces of shit. It's like, did you ever watch Entourage? No. Okay, well, one of the characters on there was on a dork show called Viking Quest that I guess would be like the equivalent to like a Hercules or a Xena. And like okay. he yeah. he does like San Diego Comic-Con and like his attitude going to Comic-Con, he's like, these fucking dorks, they just love giving me money. And like, it's like, that's totally like the fucking mentality they have going into it. That's just what I keep thinking about when you uh, describe these guys. Yeah. It's like lying to yourself that you're a king for a day. Yeah. When in reality, you're not. Yeah. Like I mean, you're all. still going to the hotel room lonely as shit at night. Like, <laughs> just. <laughs> well, I bet you it's even worse now that he has a TV show or had a TV bomb? show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it like lasted it's for gone. like a week. <laughs> yeah. It's gone. It, it, it was like eight episodes. <laughs> yeah. Because he was tweeting. We talked about that. Yeah. We talked really about that early on this on. episode. Because. Yeah, because he was talking about how like, oh, yeah, like I'm sitting here at the premiere and I'm thinking this is what it all led up to. Like, this is what comics is about. And, <laughs> and then eight weeks later, he was like, please hashtag save deadly class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I don't know anyone who's going to read that book anymore, uh... buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a fucking idiot. Yeah, I hope he just never gets work. I mean, I know he will. Marvel fucking loves Rick, but. And I think he's like over at Image all the time, isn't he? Doesn't he do all kinds of creator owned shit? too i feel like i just see his name every every, like on comics it's all the same though yeah you can't write anything different or new i I think honestly the only thing he's ever done that i even halfway enjoyed was uh frankencastle and main reason why i loved frankencastle was because of tony's art and his input in the story Mm -hmm. so you know anyway yeah fuck rick remender he's a fucking piece of shit (laughs) we just uh it's funny too like oh you know like if you're if you're like a big shot writer and whatever that means by the way but if if you're a comic writer and this like got you mad or heated or whatever and you want to fucking block us and send us hate mail please do yeah fuck please y'all. fucking do do me a huge favor and do it fuck y'all draw your own books and you know what i promise as soon as covid's over and cons start happening again i'll give you a free book if you come over to my table and if you want these hands oh those are free those come with the book <laughs> two for one baby People that write into us regularly and say you love when we're uh, being surly and being haters, this episode's for you. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So we just we just expanded the list. I think we added three people to it. But speaking of cool people, before we get out of here and get on with our conversation with Rachel Dukes and Michael Sweater, friend of the show, Ill Strips. You can follow them on social media at Ill Strips, I-L-L-S-T-R-I-P-S. I don't know their real name because they sign everything as Ill Strips. Just put out a comic, though, called Cosmic K-Fade. Slop. Yeah. Cosmic Slop, though, number one. Uh, it looks really sick. You can get that from their website, illstrips.com. Number two is coming out soon. We should have some copies coming our way, and I'll uh, follow up. But uh, the pages and the work that they post regularly, they seem to be making art all the time, are really incredible. So pick that up, Cosmic Slop number one. Do you have any plugs or anything to get in? Oh, previous guest also, Audra Stang, has a new collection out, Star Valley Stories. It is a 44-page collection. You can get that from their website, which I think Audra just posted that they updated it. Yeah, looking at the profile, audrastang.com. So Audra has a new website, and you can get previous issues of the Audra Show there, as well as uh, their new book, The Star Valley Stories. I ordered a copy, so uh, looking forward to getting that. I believe it's a collection of uh, Star Valley Universe stories that were like published online and previously not printed in physical format. Okay. Also, one last plug, a friend of the show, Mike Prezado. Uh, they're a Austin, Texas-based cartoonist. They have a new comic out called Skeleton Crew, so please consider buying it. 
believe it's available in a link on his bio on Instagram. Zio, yeah, yeah Zoptic, Z-O-P-T-I-C dot bigcartel.com. Yeah. So you can go to his Instagram page at Mike Prez with three Zs and uh, there will be a, a link there for you and you can buy a copy. Yeah, I don't even know what it's about, <laughs> but Mike's last book, Luna, kicked ass, and Mike's a phenomenal artist, so I bought it blind. So, yeah, uh, looking forward to getting that. All right. Well, that's it, I think. I think. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and take our commercial break, uh, and then when we come back, we'll be joined by Rachel Dukes and Michael Sweater, so stick around. We'll be right back. America's number one comic book, thanks to you. So, I started this company to make the toys that you asked for. Spawn Violator. I hear the competition's flying around. They could be any place. They're cool. Awesome. Tremor. Overkill. Medieval Spawn. Clown. And they come with comics. Nice toys, kids. Nice try, guys. Spawn from Todd Toys. We're out to plaster the competition. Are you fucking serious? I don't like the way I'm being talked to you. What did I tell you when you came to me? Said you wanted back in. I said, as long as you don't step on anybody's toes. In my day. And that's another thing. I don't want to hear no more about how it was in your day. You just keep your antidotes to local color, like Dynaflows or Maguire Sisters or shit like that. Otherwise, shut the fuck up! Now, back to our program. back from break and we are joined by our guests michael sweater and rachel dukes uh how y'all doing good how about yourself uh, yeah. you know i'm actually having a bad day today because i can't get a ps5 <laughs> i've been trying all day if you want me to be honest but that's right yeah yeah we're gamer pod now i don't know if you two knew that <laughs> yeah. Listen, 2020 has been very difficult for all of us and i'm sorry to hear about this for you <laughs> No, but I mean, I guess if that's my biggest problem, you know, no. things could be uh, a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> breaking news, but no, Cam can't yeah, get a PS5. Breaking news, yeah, <laughs> PS5 watch. No, but uh, yeah, we are joined today by Michael Sweater and Rachel Dukes, just like JB said. They just put out a book with Oni Press called The Wizard that they collaborated on. And Rachel also just recently released Frankie Comics from Oni as well. Where are you all based? You first. I'm in Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Okay. Hell yeah. Where are you at, Michael? I'm in Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What are you doing in Arkansas? Is that where you're from or did you move there? Yeah, I mean, I'm from here and I moved here. So it's just like, uh, it's very cheap and I'm a cartoonist and Perfect. Yeah, I don't like being in cities anymore because- <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, we just moved here from Philadelphia like two years ago again. Oh, Philly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I live in Kentucky for the same reasons. It's like cheap as fuck. So yeah. comparatively speaking. So yeah. Rachel, are you based out of uh, or sorry, are you originally from LA? Yeah, yeah. I'm native to LA and then I moved around a whole bunch and then I ended up back here again like seven years ago. Oh, what brought you back? Uh, my husband, Mike, oh, not this Mike, my right. Mike, yeah. uh, <laughs> got a job with Boom Studios. <laughs> oh, okay. So when I graduated from the Center for Cartoon Studies where I met Michael Sweater, we moved back to LA. Okay. 
And you, I was actually, you know, reading the book you all sent over and in the back, it said you were uh, a graduate of the uh, Center for Cartoon Studies in 2013. Michael, were you also in the same class, I guess, or were you just visiting out there when you all linked up? I went there for the better part of a year. Okay. And then I did not go there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So yeah, it's a two year program, right? Yeah. Okay. And I mean, I've, uh, you know, I've heard a lot about that and, um, you know, I've read about it. I mean, was overall, were your experiences there positive? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Glowing reviews. You heard it here first. (laughs) Any problem I have with the school is because I'm an uneducatable moron. So it's it's a fine school. If you want to pay for a college and go to a college, it's a fine school. That's a private college, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tuition's what, like 40K a year? Yeah. 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 Actually, <laughs> yeah. I do not know. It, it's one of those situations where you get out of it what you put into it. Mm-hmm. Right. The program is well created, but it's it's pretty broad because you have students who are walking in who have never created a comic before. And then you have students walking in who have been creating comics for 20 years. So they sort of had to create a program that anybody could do. So it's it's maybe, maybe not as... Um, Mike, help me out here. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Also, to be clear, before I say anything about a school, it's been a million years since I've been there, so it might be a completely different program. But what I was looking for was like a high intensity, take you from like a five and bang you up to an eight like type program. Okay. And it's like, it's a little more open of a program. Like they're teaching people who want to do all kinds of comics, which means you can't actually really dig into like... We're going to draw an arm all week, and this is the muscles in the arms, and we're just going to draw the shit out of it eight hours a day for a week, which is, like, what I was looking for. Yeah. But, like, there's a lot of, like, storytelling mechanics and, like, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> That's fair. Well, no, and, and thank you. You articulated what I was trying to get at because there was stuff – like, there's the the class on how to run Photoshop and all the mm-hmm. digital aspects of comic creation and pre-production. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I was doing for – 10 years before I ever went to CCS, but it, it's the same class whether you've been doing it for 10 years or you've never opened Photoshop for a moment. And so there are aspects to the two-year program that are that are a little weird in that way. Like you can't test out of courses and there's no, there's no advanced courses and it's not, oh, will you do this really well? This is how you can make that better. It's sort of just like, we're going to teach you the 101 of everything. <laughs> So while it's very, very useful, I think rather than thinking of it as a master's program, it's helpful to think of it as like a two-year intensive period to just work on your comics full time. Not think like, oh, it's an MFA. It's going to be, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I was always under the impression that a master's program wants to avoid being broad and gets more into you know specificity of things. Is that mm-hmm. is that not the case? No. No, there's like a toy design workshop, that's so or there weird. was when I was there. Okay, there, there was. I don't think that that's that's necessarily still a course. Like the faculty rolls over and changes, and I think that's one of the things that makes this hard to discuss. Sure, is every single year is different than the previous year. Hmm. And so the CCS that we went to is not the CCS that students are going to this year. Right. But I will say for as much as I've, I've sort of rambled about how it's, it's maybe not exactly what either of us had expected. Yeah. It is genuinely the best thing that I ever did for myself and my work to be able to take those two years 
and spend most of that time just creating comics. As somebody that's been doing that since I was a teenager, to be able to have, you know, two years almost uninterrupted, I was working part time, it really like just being able to take that time did level up my work, even if Mm -hmm. I can't argue that every single class in the two year course did so, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Also, like, I want to be clear, like, I'm like a princess about everything. So like, (laughs) it should I can like I can have a great thing and complain about it. So like, if anybody's thinking about a career in the comics, like they do like week long workshops where you can go check it out and talk to the academic people. Like, I actually I went there like I don't have like a high school degree and I didn't go to college or anything. And I showed up for a workshop. And one of the people at the workshop was like, why don't you go here? And I was like, I don't know that I can go here. And like, they went out of their way to help get me into the program and yeah. like assist me and stuff. Yeah. Like I literally just handed them like two grand I had from working at Subway. Yeah. And they let me in kind of. And then you got to get, I had to give them money later, but like sure. they were, they were very good to me. Uh, yeah. yeah I mean, and, and, and they're very cool and it's a great school. I was just going to say likewise, like for as much as I waffle about the program itself, I, w- I was going to say the summer workshops, I think is a fantastic way for anybody to come in and feel it out before putting down the 40 grand, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. and say like, do I like the feel of this? Do I like the instructors? Do I like the way this course is structured before committing to, two years and then dropping out halfway through you know (laughs) right yeah that would be yeah (laughs) so overall you think it was a positive experience i know you said rachel it did a lot for you uh michael do you feel like it was overall a positive experience i mean it was like yeah because like it was like the first time i went to spx was i jumped in the car with somebody there i didn't know what spx was when i showed up there i didn't know shit about comics so it was basically like a portal right into like the center of everything like i met rachel I met a lot of friends I still have, like Cole Closser and like Dan and Max and just like a lot of people. So it it was great. I just also, I come from like a family that has some people who teach higher education who are so mad about the way higher education is run and Mm -hmm. that's kind of rubbed off on me. Yeah. Yeah. And just any place that charges that much is going to just make me mad instantly no matter what. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of like I I see the ticket and I'm like in the same boat. (laughs) I'm like as far as like the tuition prices. And, you know, that's not a knock. You know, I mean, they've got to pay the bill somehow. But yeah, so uh, moving on from that, though, that was 2013. You said you didn't know, Michael, you said you didn't really know too much about comics. Were you making comics before that? I know, Rachel, you mentioned you'd been making comics, you know, for a long time before that. Were you making comics before attending the school, Michael? No, like maybe six months to what what year did we go rachel we were there from 2011 to 2013 okay so i drew my first comic in 2009 and then i got really into comics because i had to like behave myself and it was like a thing i could do inside that it was kind of fun because cartoons were too hard to make and then i was just i was making like a lot of comics by myself i had made like before i showed up i had probably made 13 or 14 like floppies just for myself yeah wow like well i didn't i, I had done a lot but i didn't know it was a lot because i mm-hmm. like learned to make comics by like being like okay well i didn't know anything about comics so i was like uh jack kirby what did jack kirby do yeah and so like i looked up the wrong like i i didn't see any of the like beginner shit and i was like okay so jack kirby would do like an issue a week so i gotta i gotta be that fast because like i didn't have any context right yeah so i just like pumped out a lot of like floppies and then i went there so you're just working like this like 60s comic sweatshop yeah (laughs) yeah. eat shit model and it's like "Hmm, i guess i'll do this i guess that's what i guess that's how you make comics (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I was. I mean, it's good though, because like, oh, sure. kind of like yeah. the hundred percent. Yeah, it's kind of like the idea of like what's possible, and like having that perspective skewed early on was actually helpful for me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, because I never, I never heard somebody say like, "Oh, it's so hard to like do this. This is this amount is hard." Like, I had no context for anything outside of just like what a couple established people whose names I knew about had said in interviews. Right. And like nobody who's established, who's done a bunch of work, who's somebody who's never read a comic has re- read about is going to say, oh, this is hard. I don't know what I'm doing. They're just going to be like, yeah, I love it. I do this. This is what I do. Yeah. So just not having that in my head was like very, I think, helpful. So you like learning to work kind of at like a breakneck pace, you know, just thinking that's what was supposed to happen. Actually, both of you all are, uh, you know, primarily doing like a lot of web comics that are posted, you know, rather often, you know, a lot of people take the route of, you know, working on a book and releasing like a floppy, but you all uh, are pretty active on social media and post, you know, pretty often to engage your audience. How often are you all having to, to work? Are you all working all the time to keep up with the schedule? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems like that. So I didn't know. Like, is this like a regimented schedule that you all have set for yourselves, or how do you balance, you know, having a daily comic with you know Draw living? I'm a big fan of Alec Longstreet's The Schedule, which is in comic his mini comic comics will love you back, where he blocks out your day in either a ten or eight hour workday, and so you wake up. And you draw for four hours, and then you break for an hour to eat lunch, and then you draw for three hours, and then you break for a half an hour for a snack, and then you draw for two hours, and you know, you break for an hour for dinner, and then you draw for another two hours, and you're done, you know? So it, it's that mental separation between work and break. Which, which I think is mm-hmm. ideal. And Mike and I, or for me personally, and Mike and I have both tried it and attest to the Pomodoro method of like trying to trick yourself into working into 10 minute increments, which I, I find is also helpful on days where I'm struggling. I have um, an autoimmune disorder, so my circadian rhythm is non-existent. So I can't necessarily like keep a schedule like, you know, every day from nine to five, but like as long as I'm up and working for the same amount of hours when I'm awake, I call that good. No, that uh, the schedule in that mini comic is very good. Hell yeah. He gives like a talk associated with your comics will love you back. That's really beautiful. And I would say like that's worth the price of admission at CCS alone. Agreed. But like Alec is another person who's like got a good mindset. Like that's the thing is I went straight from doing all the comics to hearing Alec give that talk about like this is what I do and I love comics and comics love me. And it's like so I had like a very fortunate setup and just the mental stuff getting into it. Yeah, I think that we were very, very fortunate to be there for for our first year specifically that you were there for. I think we were very lucky to be there that year because we had Alec Longstreth, John Chad, Bob and Criota, Steve Bissett, James Sturm. Like we had a lot of people that could kind of keep us on a good path to be both diligent and positive about that diligence and comics. The year ahead of us had a lot of really good students too. Mm-hmm. Faculty too. Yeah. Also, like I, I probably would have stayed, but I was just like wiling out. So that my leaving yeah. wasn't a knock on the school. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm stupid. <laughs> what happened? I just got emotional and didn't want to be in town anymore. Oh, okay, fair. Also, also, yeah. I kind of wanted to just draw, and I felt restricted. And I'm, <laughs> I'm basically uneducatable. I got to learn everything by like tripping. So yeah, I just got to fall on my face over and over. Okay, just on your terms, basically. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's comics. So there you go. (laughs) 
when you said tripping, I thought you meant psychedelics. I was like, oh. No. <laughs> yeah, I got no. it. You said follow it on your face. So I, <laughs> I got to eat a bunch of caps in order to learn comics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Which, I mean, mad. might do something for you, you know. Uh, but, uh, um, I no. don't touch any psychedelics. That seems, <laughs> that seems like a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm too old for that shit now. I did it in early college when I could handle it, but you know. No, but uh, moving on though. So when you all, you know, left CCS, like it seems like you all obviously stayed with comics. So, and I hate if this is uh, intruding on your personal lives, but are you all full-time like illustrators or do you all have like day jobs or just full-time illustrators? Yeah. I yeah. just... just- just draw. Just draw. Hell yeah. Just full time. So okay. do you have a lot of freelance projects or are you mainly just getting everything off of, you know, your own work? You go first. It's hard to say because I sort of just transitioned into as of, you know, this month, whenever we're recording this, mm-hmm. the only things I have on my docket are The Wizard. We're working on book two right now. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also working, I'm starting the first book of a two book series for Little Brown. Um, the first book is called Daddy and the Beanstalk. So I'm only working on those two projects. Whereas if you'd asked me that question a year or two ago, I was working on Frankie Comics and The Wizard and, you know, regular short stories for the nib, regular illustrated statistics for the nib, Mm -hmm. uh, stuff for their animated show. I was doing freelance stuff for Ojoy Sex Toy and local mini comic creators. And, you know, Frankie was still a webcomic. You know, so while historically I do juggle a lot of freelance, I was also doing freelance for Lionforge. I was doing stuff for Rolled and Told. I'll do a thousand things at once. In this moment, I'm only working on the books, which is nice. Rachel is a real one. Yeah, I'm I'm getting that. (laughs) But (laughs) also, while you're doing all of those things, you're also tabling at events. Mm -hmm. So uh how is that happening (laughs) i don't know how else to frame that other than you talk about alec long stress the schedule it's just it's really just about being like okay i've got three weeks of this month and then i'm gonna be gone you know i basically like don't get anything done when i'm at a convention but Mm -hmm. i'm only doing like fortunately being in la and this is part of the reason that we stay here Mm -hmm. i can do so many shows locally oh yeah where it's so much easier to get in the car and drive 20 minutes spend a couple of hours at the event and then come home and work or not work afterwards you know the conventions that i'm doing in san francisco or bethesda or toronto or new york or whatever i can take a couple of days or the week as work vacation or whatever yeah and I'm, I'm not working in that time, but I'm still making money, even though I'm not drawing. So I can kind of justify it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, to a degree, you're still working, just not yeah. um, not doing the thing that you maybe love to do. Not to say that you don't love right. tabling, but yeah. I, I love yes, tabling. I oh, Michael, you do? I love seeing people yeah. at conventions. I, I love seeing the fans that I know. I love seeing my friends. Like most of my friends live on the East Coast, you know, or are in San Francisco or are in Portland. I have a core group of good friends here in LA, but you know, sweaters in Arkansas, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I mostly see people at conventions. Yeah. 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 That's, that's like the only, I hate tabling. Like I turn it on when I'm tabling, but I love after show hanging oh, and yes. seeing everybody. Yeah. But yeah. tabling, fuck tabling standing there for eight hours having to give your elevator pitch for your book you you say that but you're like so gung-ho whenever we table because i have to be because i have to be i'm the only one i can tell i can see it on your face you're excited you're happy i'm excited i'm in the mood of like being there but like as far this it's just like exhausting especially if it's like a two-day event or something second day it's just like i'm so over it but the actual festive atmosphere and everything yeah i'm here for it 
As someone who did San Diego Comic-Con for a decade, I relish two-day shows. Yeah. I'm like, this is so easy. I love this. Yeah. Do you like doing San Diego? Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't done it in a couple of years. I, I think I did it for 14 or 15 years. And wow. then I was like, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. 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 After short run, I was just like, why even do it more than a day? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> they seem to keep it going at San Diego. That was... I think I, I only went one time, but it was... I've never yeah, been. It's too big. It's like There's, four or five days, right? It's a whole week, yeah. It starts yeah. Wednesday night and goes till Sunday night. With the worst people. Sorry. Well, okay, not your all's fans. And there's but, like preview uh, days, right? Like before the official start? Yeah, preview uh, night on Wednesday. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm. That's wild. No, I remember showing up. I got a sketch from Sergio Aragones. I got a sketch yeah. from Don Rosa. And nice, then I was like, nice. what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm in San Diego and I can't draw. Like, Don Rosa. He did. I've been trying to find that dude's house. He lives here in Louisville. <gasps> Wait, doesn't Don do, didn't he do the- All the Donald it, the, Duck stuff. Yeah, all the Donald it's Duck stuff. Scrooge Ducks. McDuck. Scrooge, oh, yeah, 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 Scrooge. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Donald's in a, it, right? Yeah, yeah, he's there. There's a oh, yeah. documentary with his house on like YouTube where some like just European guy came and was just like filming his house. And that dude's a murderer. Yeah. When I said I want to find his house, I didn't mean like in a creepy way. I just want to know what area of town he lives in. Because like I would imagine, I would just think that he probably has this giant house in it's Old Louisville or something. huge. Yeah, okay. I figured. Like it's like an estate. Okay. Yeah, that, I have a, that adds I have a up. funny uh, story about him. I can tell you later, Michael. <laughs> Does it involve him <laughs> swimming through buckets of money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's in his money vault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. So let's, let, I guess, let's get into why the wizard. You all are yeah, on you here. Were yeah, talking about, about the wizard. Books. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess first we should discuss wizard since you both worked on that together on that. Uh, so, how did that come about? Is this something that you two started ruminating on while in school or was this after the fact? No, it was just after the fact. Was it after the fact? You, when you left to go to SAW. Yeah. Oh, I went to. Or shortly after you left SAW. I went to the sequential artist workshop you, for two weeks. Yeah. You were working on a comic called Teen Wizard. And Teen Wizard was sort of the first foray towards the wizard. Really? That. Because so that Teen yeah, Wizard is about I, a community I college some of for it wizards. Teen Wizard is about a community college for wizards in like a suburban town. Right, but it deals with magic, wizards, and the character dynamics are a little similar. You're getting called out, Michael. So don't tell anyone. <laughs> I only write like four or five characters. Like, so that, and then um, there was something else that you did after Teen Wizard that was. And, and it's, oh, no, it, actually, Hive. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hive Stories was the thing that you did when you were at CCS that we talked about with Alec Longstreth recently that is also, it's actually, I think, more like The Wizard than Teen Wizard That's was. That's actually fantasy. Um, with regard to the world building, because it's an adventure comic and you've got this guy with a dagger running through town and being chased and there's all sort of the set pieces uh, more pared down, but similar to what we're doing in the wizard and then instead of in the wizard we have lots of tiny little birds everywhere that have invest infested the the local buildings and in hive stories it was mice huh yeah come up with something new michael come on i'm like weezer i got a formula <laughs> <laughs> that's fair hey if it works you know you know it is a partnership on the book but you all both drew it right uh yeah kind of yeah so what is that like drawing yeah, that work? with another artist yeah you, you both you put the lines on the paper and then oh, what's okay, well, who's so, starting what okay like, so, you, so here's, yeah like who thumbnails you know like right. how do you like because you know the writer artist collaboration is something i'm familiar with but like collaborating where two art styles are on the same page i've never done that personally 
So, all right. So here, here's here's the process. I write it. Yeah. How's the magic happen? I write it, and then yeah. I do pencils. But then okay. Rachel looks at my pencils and they say, these pencils are terrible. I'm fixing these drawings. And then Rachel okay. fixes the drawings that are bad and then inks okay. them. And then we both colored it. Oh, all right. Does, does that sound so right? So you're both okay. handling like flatting and then coloring and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Is that how that happened? You did, you did more of the colors just because we were in this book, just because we were butted up against the deadline. Yeah. But I did go in and finesse some of, I actually finessed quite a few of the shadows, actually. <laughs> you did. <laughs> There's color holds in the book, and I don't know how to do a color hold. Oh, that's hold, true. So. I did do color oh, holds, are, and I, I did quite a bit, actually. But it's it's what I consider effects work. Like, I don't think about that yeah. when I think about coloring. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you all are both uh, Silver Sprocket alumni, is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so- I'm a current student. Okay, current. So, so this new book, though, is over at Oni. Why did you all jump? Not that there's, like, you know, any ill will or anything, but what was the choice of, Nothing you know, going to a bigger publisher? Will. I didn't jump. I actually, I'm not sure Oni is necessarily that much bigger. They're, they're, I think they're technically larger. I, I don't know. I'm doing another graphic novel with Silver Sprocket right now. Mm-hmm. And I intend to always have a book on the docket with them. Like, they're the best publisher in the world. On the docket with they're Sprocket. Mm. Yeah. I've yeah. got a book called Everything Sucks coming out with them next year. But yeah, I mean, it was just, I just, I had only really worked with Silver Sprocket at that point, mm-hmm. And I wanted to get the experience of doing something with like a standard industry type thing. Because like, I don't really know anything about comic shops. I don't know anything about the actual industry. And it was just like a learning experience type thing. Does that sound right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. we were both freelancing for Lion Forge. Yeah pretty early on and new people there and um, Andrea Colvin was there and um, sometime before the murder she approached us about if we wanted to pitch anything and so Mike pitched the wizard which I had already seen some sample pages from or a sample page yeah on your Instagram and I loved it and I, I had been waiting for you to draw it I was like oh I can't wait to read this and then uh, you sent it to Andrea as a pitch, but before you sent it, you were like, "Hey, do you want do you want to work on this?" I was like, "Oh yeah, of course I want to work on this. Sure, if that gets it done, bring me in." You know, yeah, I think we like pitched I, we pitched the book on just like that one sample page, and then like six pages of scribbles. <laughs> yeah, you did some you did some rough character art and like explained the personalities of each of the characters and I think we wrote like some sample blurbs like you would write like TV guide pitches for episodes yeah. of a thing. Yeah. We did a couple of those and that was it. Yeah. So you all are currently working on book 2 or gearing up to do so. How many books do you all plan on this being? I'm writing book three right now. We're going to make as many books as people buy. We're going to do the Shonen Jump model. Hell yeah. Like, people want it, I'll make it. <laughs> yeah, nice. Like, and you also just released, uh, Rachel, you also just released your uh, Frankie Comics uh, book over at Oni as well. I do want to talk a lot about that because, uh, you know, it is something that you were posting primarily online. Is this all just collected strips from uh, your online post or was some of this made for the book exclusively? Uh, there are a few, there are like a few new jokes specifically for the book. Uh-huh. But by and large, um, about half of the book, the artwork, like the line art is the same as what was in the webcomic. The other half of the book, I completely redrew and did some punch up on the jokes and kind of fin- finessed it, kind of zhuzhed it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I did the the collection in full color, whereas the webcomic was in monotone and the, the mini comics were in black and white. So it's sort of, there is some new content, but it's largely a remastered enhanced collection for people who maybe haven't read it before. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, I'd only, I'd, I'd sold less than 10,000 copies between the four issues of the mini comics. So there's a great wide world out there who have never read the webcomic or seen the mini comics that I was hoping to reach with the new collection. 
Hell yeah. Would you consider that story slightly autobio or? Oh, completely. It is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to clarify. That's all. Well, do, in... do you like cats? I don't know if that was clear. <laughs> I do. How did you guess? Intuition. You know, you do this long enough. <laughs> well, one thing I do want to address, you know, you all are both pretty, you know, you guys have, you know, a pretty good grasp of, uh, you know, the web comics you're currently working on. And I think one thing that sets you all apart from other guests that we've had is you all are both in my eyes and, you know, based off of what you all here for, you know, you got books and stuff coming out. You guys are successful at making web comics. Now, that's something that we don't usually ever get into talking about with guests because honestly, you know, a lot of the guests that we've had don't work at that model. They'll post like pages here and there. But you all, when you make a webcomic, do you just try something out and it just sticks? Is there some kind of strategy behind getting it to stick? Like, do you guys see hashtags helping, you know, like kind of just want to open up a discussion on like how to get a successful webcomic going and your experience, like what you've done to cultivate your, you know, large audiences? So I just started my webcomic, Rather Be Dead. Mm -hmm. And I I did kind of design it with the idea of making a webcomic to prove that it's easy and like make fun of webcomics a little bit in a way. Hell yeah. Like I do like drawing it, but like I'd rather be doing graphic novels. But like that's the thing is like there is like some level of like if you're making something for like Instagram, you got to be thinking about like what people want. Right. So you got to make it like jokes that are things everybody knows about and aren't going to make everybody mad. That's my big problem is I keep making jokes that make people mad. <laughs> Like, I'll do a strip that's just like this thing that people like is fucking terrible. And that doesn't help when you're trying to get followers. But like, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, so I gained about 10,000 followers in the first month of doing it. But if you're like trying to have a career, I would say don't even fuck with webcomics because I'm not sure how many of those 10,000 people I can actually get to do anything. Um, Like, I don't know if they're going to read my... And at the end of the day, I want people to read my graphic novels. Yeah. So... So where did they come from? Just people sharing your work or I mean... Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, you make something... If you show yeah. up in the explore page, you're good. Also, like I front page Reddit like three times that month, like which I don't know what that means, but I did it. There's a there's a special subreddit for people who front paged that you can't go to unless you front page. That's cool. It, they're so <laughs> lame. I hate them so much. <laughs> oh, I bet. Wait, are you posting it or are other people, like other users on the site posting it? Oh, I would post it. So what subreddit like are okay. you posting in? Is it like a special webcomic subreddit? So there's like the webcomics one. One that I did that got to the front was through the games. Like I put it in video games, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was like some stupid Final Fantasy joke. Yeah, I think I did that. And all I do is I don't really know how Reddit works that much. I don't like it as a site and a platform. But I just like looked at where other people who make webcomics on Reddit were putting stuff. And I just did what they did. You just posted like, on there. Because okay. I think I go to Reddit sometimes, like, but I don't really know how it works. But it's all based off of like getting likes. And that's what gets you attention, yeah. right? Okay, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this thing is if in anything, if you want to be successful, you can just kind of model what other people do mm -hmm. and it'll work. <laughs> like It is kind of an interesting dynamic because you mentioned that you don't know what you could get those 10,000 additional followers to do as far as like, will they actually take a gamble on, you know, buying a book? But I mean, in theory, if you're gaining 10,000 followers off of something, if you collect those strips into a book, you would think there's that audience for that, right? 
Yeah, but so the thing is, like, it's like really low. It doesn't cost anything to follow somebody. Mm -hmm. And the kind of people who are seeing your stuff when you hit like a big algorithm, they're not people who are invested in the medium. They're not, they don't have a bookshelf full of comics. Uh, Like, you're definitely going to be able to get some, but like, I was making a living when I had like 6,000 followers on Instagram or something. And when I got the 10,000, I didn't see a dramatic increase in sales. I saw, really, I did see a jump in shirt sales. So I think those people like shirts, like, you could probably build a model around doing a web comic and then having shirts but like i don't want to do that shirts always so yeah shirts are yeah you know it's an easy so you don't have to read you don't have to collect anything people wear shirts you can gift them a lot of webcomics people make board games that seems to be like a big seller for a lot of those people because like it costs nothing to produce because everything's made out of cardboard and you can Hmm. sell it for like 40 bucks because people see it as like a good investment giving away the tricks yeah i mean the the thing is there's not really any tricks in comics because the reality is you could tell everybody exactly how to do everything and most people like don't have the energy to do it anyway <laughs> so yeah. and also just like more successful people means more like if you can convert some of those 10,000 people into comics buyers like I love webcomics people I think they're great they're making a lot of future graphic novels readers it just seems like a, a whole hustle now this is something that I've always wondered about do you think there is a, a lot of overlap between webcomic readers and you know non-webcomic readers you mean like people who like actively buy analog right yeah i i mean i i don't think that there's a ton of crossover to be honest okay but that's just like personal anecdotal you know i have friends who are wednesday warriors and those people don't necessarily read web comics but they also don't necessarily read graphic novels they're floppies guys whereas my friends that are web comics readers will pick up a graphic novel every now and again, but they do seem like very different audiences in my personal life. I don't know if that's, you know, industry-wide, but that's my observation. Yeah. Webcomics are kind of like the newspaper comic strips. Like, nobody reading Andy Cat was, like, getting Watchmen. Like, yeah, true. they're just different people. Well, they'd be, like, a hundred also. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> not back then. I don't know when Watchmen came out, so late 80s 88 i think 87 or 88 the only reason i know that is because i feel like it was like that and dark knight whichever the first one was all came out in the same year i think because they were like it was like a big year for comics like in some old comics journals um yeah anyway sorry well uh, yeah i mean i think also based on just anecdotal evidence as well i kind of share that opinion that there really isn't much of a crossover but yeah, I mean, clearly you you two have more experience with that than than I do. So you should uh, people should do a web comic if they think they want to do a web comic and they think it'll be fun. Nobody should start a web comic just for their career. Like that's to me that seems like a dumb idea. Number one, like you missed the social media boom, Tumblr boom, and too. like yeah, like you missed the boom. Social media. I'd be willing to like play some serious wagers that social media will not be nearly the same like level of like in the cultural zeitgeist in like 10 years. I'd say less than that. Yeah. I mean, I've been calling it for like five years now. I've been like saying this shit is so temporary. But like you got to think like everybody's like, oh, how do you get your Instagram count up? When you like talk to people about comics, like how how do you get more followers? How do you do this? How do you do that? It's like this shit's going to go away. Like how about you ask, how do I make a good comic? And if it happens to work on Instagram, congratulations. If you did it three years ago, you would have been a millionaire. But how do I get on someone's top 10 friends on MySpace? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Yeah. I, well, so where do you think it's going to go? I just can't envision a world without some kind of social media. Oh, I mean, it'll exist. I mean, there's just like so many factors. And also like people crave novelty. Mm-hmm. And so like platforms inherently are going to fall by the wayside as like people find new ways to like fuck with our dopamine receptors and get us to get the same thing from another like place. Guessing the market is always stupid. You can't do it. Like if you read about like stupid economics and business people, mm-hmm nobody can guess a market nobody knows what the future is so like if you want to make a webcomic make a webcomic but don't like try to you're not going to win the lottery like you should just do the thing that's best and do it the way it's best yeah i mean i would use that same argument for anybody that wants to get into comics to be successful yeah it's just why you you could do millions (laughs) of other things to do that yeah i i had a friend recently ask me like well you know how do i get to the point that you're at you know where you've got the wizard coming out with oni press and i said well dude you stick with it and get your butt kicked for a decade like that that's how you do it like Mm -hmm. people talk about like being found or gatekeepers or you know all of that sort of stuff and it's really just longevity it's doing it because you love doing it until you've done it long enough that your part-time job becomes you know your full-time job and people know you're reliable and your work is consistent enough that people know what to expect from you and you make yourself hireable and that you know that's how you do it and that's how you do anything you know you practice 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 fake it till you make it like all of that sort of stuff you have to love the thing that you're doing whether it's comics or anything else in order to get to this point you know Also, like, maybe it doesn't take 10 years, but, like, if you think you're ready, here's what you do. Make a 60-page book that is good and that people want to buy, do the thumbnails for a full graphic novel, and then shop the graphic novel. At this point, if you can prove you can finish a book that's big and somebody will look at the book and be like, oh, I think people are going to buy this, and then you have another book written, somebody will buy it. Mm -hmm. Like, the industry is exploding and nobody – it's so fucking hard to make a graphic novel that if you think you can do it, you just do it. It's like a gold rush except you can only make $10,000. Yeah. Like (laughs) – Bronze rush, right. Yeah. But that's the big thing. It's like you gotta you gotta prove you can do it because like nobody's gonna sign a deal with you. Well, I mean, some people are if they're dumb, but like it's hard to to guess if somebody can finish a graphic novel unless they've done it right. or like a pretty long book. So like if you're waiting for somebody to discover you to give you a thing for your graphic novel, like that's not gonna happen unless you can prove you've done it. Just because like I was talking to like an agent person and they were saying something like twenty five percent of the projects one of the big companies start fail. Like the graphic novels don't get finished, and that's like a huge number. If you were in yeah, any industry, that would be like yeah and it's because it's hard yeah right if you like it and you got the you got the you got the moxie just like you could do it but you gotta just do it yeah i mean it's like you know we've said it on this show before but like it takes a real sick person to want to make comics and stick with it (laughs) like twisted just a glutton for punishment but you know for some reason the the love of the game just you know trumps everything else yeah no i mean i'm pretty sure uncut gems is about comics i don't know if people know that (laughs) so i get worked up about comics Hell yeah. So um, (laughs) as far as The Wizard, you said you are uh, working on book three and we're going to continue working on it until, you know, I guess, you know, until the audience doesn't want it anymore. So you all have had, is this the first partnership you all have had as far as working on a book together or have you all done projects together before this one? I think this is my first actual collaboration, I think, but I've always been like very wary about starting a collaborative project because like, so I was like, 
playing music and I was in like a like a touring hardcore band before I started making comic books. Mm-hmm. And so I know working with other people can be fucking awful. So like I've been very hesitant, but like as soon as this came up, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dukes can do this. This is good. Let's do this. Right. It's just the right, right. person. You'll, you have a yeah. yeah, you have a history with them. You know what they're capable of doing. To answer the same question, I guess, this is probably my first collaborative project where we've both done work on the story and the art. But you know, I, I've I've done a lot of work historically for anthologies. So I've drawn a lot of stories written by other people, but this is the first time where I've done punch up on writing and finished art started by somebody else. With the writing part, is that something that you weren't as confident in initially? With regard to editing Spider-Man? With writing. Story? No, no, no. Sorry. Writing like comics, like writing stories. Oh, you're asking, is that why I was drawing more than I was writing? Yes. Like instead of instead of writing your own stories, right, to draw and, and instead working with other writers. No, I sort of ended up drawing stories by other writers in the middle. Okay. And I'm not exactly sure how that came about, to be honest. I was working with Ryan Estrada, who's a who's a writer and cartoonist. He had a website, maybe still has one, called Cartoon Commune, where he was taking commissions for clients. Okay. And I was I was taking commissions as an artist through Cartoon Commune. And he was launching a project called Broken Telephone, where every chapter was illustrated by a different artist. Mm-hmm. And he was drawing one character throughout the whole story that was in all of the shorts or in each chapter. So that was the the through line. And he asked if I wanted to draw a chapter of that. And I said, yes. And I later drew one of his stories for um, Tim Ross BC. And I, I pitched it on Megan Rose Gedris' story for the Oath Anthology because her her wrist was healing. She had surgery or something. And so I think it, it sort of um, came about just through having friends in the industry. It, it wasn't really a conscious choice. It was just sort of like people being in situations where they needed artists and were reaching out to friends. And that's how I started doing that. Though to be fair, my writing was not stellar during that era of my cartooning. So okay. it was a good opportunity for me to get better, I don't know, at comics and ignore the fact that I couldn't really <laughs> write yet. I don't know. It's fine. Whatever. Did did that experience help, though, in, in any way with your writing? Probably not. Not at the time. Okay. I, I learned by doing. And so avoiding the fact that I can't write doesn't really help me learn how to write, if that makes sense. <laughs> sure. But I mean, like working with other writers and getting their perspectives on, you know, approaching stories. There's not really any takeaway from that. No. <laughs> not <laughs> for me personally. I think also it's just like people probably ask because everybody who knows Rachel knows like Rachel is a fucking workhorse. They're constantly just like cranking everything out. Like as soon as I had the wizard thing, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, Rachel. That was like instant. Yeah. Oh, no, the no, moment no, I, I had I, the I, thought of collaborating. Yeah, yeah like, no, that part I understand. I was I was just curious about just in terms of like their approach to writing, if, if it was at all, you know, different prior to doing a lot of collaborative work. Because I don't know. I feel like as someone who makes comics, you do have to wear those multiple hats. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to know how to write. You have to know how to draw. You have to know how to color. You have to know how to do composition and layouts. You have to do lettering. All of those little things that maybe most readers don't really take into account unless it's listed in front of them, like on a Marvel or DC book. There's no real frame of reference otherwise. Also, Rachel, you are good at writing comics because I have read your comics from before that stuff and it's great. Oh, it's <laughs> well, nice you of you to say so. Thank so. you. You know, there is something that I wanted to talk about. I know you all did a uh, panel discussion with a friend uh, of the show, Dave Baker. Yeah. How'd that go? I, I missed oh, it, it unfortunately. I just posted it on YouTube if you want to if you want to watch it. We we just had an impromptu Zoom release party for the books, and Dave led the discussion for it. 
Oh, hell yeah. Okay, yeah, I saw you all posting about that. Duh. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, are we the last pod to hit on your little digital tour? That we're confirmed for, yeah. You were you were the end of our of our initial shortlist. Oh, okay. Well. Uh sorry, this is very underwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is my I like this one. I'm not gonna say this is my favorite because that, that's you that can't would be say a lie. That. That's fine. Well, it wouldn't be a lie, it's just mean to say to other people who have podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like this. Yeah, no, this is definitely my speed. This is great. Yeah, hell yeah. No, okay, good. My, All right. my speed in the other ones was, is it okay if I cuss? Can I yeah. cuss? Can I do a cuss? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is an all ages pod. Yeah, do we have like a, a mature thing if people pull up our podcast? I feel like if we... Yeah, there's a there's Like a, a little thing parental advisory click. thing. Yeah, that's funny. Not really a parental advisor. It's just letting you know it's explicit you know, content, adult, grown-up language. Yeah. So Not, actually, yeah, before anyway. we do get into questions, I do want to ask about that. The wizard is an all-ages tale. Adults can read it. Young adults can read it as well. But Michael, a lot of your stories on your Instagram are, as far as like comics-wise, are definitely like adult content. So what's it like having to get in that headspace to create something that's an all-ages book or a young adult book? Is that something that's kind of hard for you to like transition? No, it's, I mean, the book wasn't written as a children's book. We just pitched it and then I took out the gore and it's the same book I would do for adults. There was gore in it prior? In my original design of it. Okay. Like, it was okay. supposed to be like, it's basically the same except Wallace chops people up and it's like hyper gory and there's like more like bodily injury. But otherwise it's the same book. Like in this book, like some cops try to shut down a tavern and somebody hits them with a donut. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I noticed there was some like anti-cop language as well. Not language, but I think some there was like a panel where somebody says something derogatory about the cops, which, you know, fuck he yeah. He says eat dirt cop and then yeah. throws the donut. We respect the police here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Don't I mean, like, the, the blue book line. is, like, <laughs> it's, like, explicitly anti-police. Yeah, for sure. And, like, more of a, more of, like, a traditional 80s, like, punk anti-police way. Uh-huh. Uh, like, there's not, no proposed alternatives, it's just. Just fuck uh, showing them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> was it your choice? Because I, I believe in the solicitation material, I think it is marketed as an all-ages oh, yeah, yeah. adventure. Is that correct? So is that like by design from the publisher or you all? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't do that. But I mean, it okay. is good for kids. <laughs> yeah, no, like, for sure. Yeah, like I could give my niece that comic and she could read it, you know, and I wouldn't feel like bad about her reading that. It also you know? doesn't and, compromise the story. Right. Like it's right. Exactly. Yeah. Really. This thing is like most of the best stories for kids aren't really written for kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also like wasn't really allowed to read kids book as a kid because like I guess there was the idea that they were stupider and like you should engage with like more like not like adult content. But like when I was a kid, there's just like the sentiment of like, no, that's stupid. You can you're fine. You just handle this. This is a real book. Have this. And like a lot of the best books for kids like Bone wasn't made for kids. Like, yeah. right, right, right. And like graphic novels that are made specifically for kids, I tend to not like them because I'm not a kid. Mm-hmm. Wait, right? what? But what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I, I I don't know. I think content-wise, it's fine for kids, but like, but you, you can read yeah, it right. grown up. In in terms of like intention, it was never. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, I mean, uh, once once we got rolling, I definitely like did not do anything bad. Like, <laughs> but. <laughs> You mean like tonal wise or? My spouse uh, Mike told me recently, I haven't seen it. I don't know that it's true. I heard that maybe, maybe you said this. Somebody told me this the night of the party that there's a Goodreads review that simply says there's too many butts. What? (laughs) 
in the wizard book. They did not. There's a lot like of they downvoted the whole book because there's there's too many um, goblin butts. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of goblins because it's funny because butts are funny. So I put yeah, that. and I mean honestly, like that's like in, like old like trope in animation. I mean, like you know, like the cartoons I watched. You know, you look at like Rocco's like butts are just like funny to kids, and they're always like used as like a plot device to get a joke. I mean, and not saying that you know discounting that, but I mean, I just don't see why anybody would take offense to that. But hey, yeah, did that person like sit know, down she- and count every butt that they saw? Yeah, I mean, you all get on like the, you know, the IMDB, like the trigger warning part where it's like at 567 into the movie, it's really gory. There's just like there are 37 butts <laughs> and it's just like a documentation of every butt in the book. Too many butts. Too many butts. Butts are, are they're funny. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of reviewers don't know what they're talking about, but it's fine because they still read my book and that was my goal. So I still win. Yep. So, yeah, um, you got him. There yeah. was a like I got really upset with I'm not going to mention any names, but there was a reviewer who was trying to tell me that a book that I said was really good last year wasn't good. And I was just kind of like they never made a comic or anything and they were criticizing someone's art. And I was just like, you know what? Like, I just don't respect your opinion. Like, it's cool <laughs> when comics people review things because at least you've been in the trenches you know like i'll respect you know any cartoonist you know opinion on a book before i you know respect any just straight just reviewer and i had a little instagram fight with somebody (laughs) last year you've been (laughs) feisty lately cam no this was last year but yeah i've been yeah oh you go in waves then yeah keep it wavy i don't i don't mind criticism from people that aren't cartoonists or artists or whatever but i will definitely take their opinion closer to heart if they are yeah i don't know yeah i don't mind criticism but if you're gonna go in on someone's art to the level that this person was trying to go in on their art i took personal offense to that since they'd never you know made a comic i don't know it's just it was like digs about stuff like you're almost trying to like force me to having a different opinion about this person and i was just like eh. yeah i mean it's, but, it's, it's yeah. also like the i don't know if you've ever because i i don't use i know we talked about reddit circling back to that but the few times that i did use reddit or find it on like a google search there was some sort of discussion about like best and worst art for the year whatever i forget it this might have been like 2017 and uh they were the people that were all complaining about certain artists you could tell that all of their opinions were based on like books for babies basically (laughs) i I, I mean without putting in any other terms it's just like i don't know it just seemed weird if you're engaging in long form yearly discussion on reddit about a topic like you have the like your brain is terrible. You gotta get. <laughs> you gotta do yeah. a different brain in there. Yeah, Boy. you need a couple of tests, maybe a spa or two. <laughs> the thing about criticism is, unless it's overwhelming, it doesn't matter. And to me, like it's even funnier. Like if somebody reads like more than a hundred pages of my material and it says something bad. That's basically a free prank call that you didn't even have to do anything. Like you just got to waste a bunch of some stranger's time and made them mad. Yeah, which is sick. Yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> as long as as long as you're making money and it's not overwhelming even if it's overwhelming if you're making money who cares there's like overwhelming there's in of, like you mean like multiple voices saying it the same thing or yeah or, okay, yeah like if okay. everybody is saying i don't understand what's up with this dude's nose the drawing is weird like fix that nose yeah but like there's like web comics people who 90 percent of what you hear about them is bad and they're making way more money than i'll ever make and like they should probably keep doing it so yeah uh all right i guess it's a good time to get into some listener questions 
Yeah, so before we get into these, I uh, know you all, have, uh, for a long time listeners, you've heard the spiel, but if you have questions for us, you can email them to us at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at gutterboyspod. We put up little uh, ask me anything things on our story that field for questions for us and for our guests. And see here. The first question came from jazz underscore heist. Why won't you just watch Berserk? It's got the tiny heads of the big bodies. I don't fuck with that. That's <laughs> right. why I don't. That's why I don't read JoJo either. I fuck with that as a stylistic oh, uh, decision. So ugly. <laughs> How do you even fit that big old body in a panel? You got to do a bunch of tall panels. That doesn't work. Well, what is it like? Manga has like like four panels sometimes. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, but like it's like tall and thin. I don't know. They're they're baiting me though because I they know specifically about my tiny head problem. Mm, okay. What? Well, it's one of those things, too. It's like, are you going to draw a full-bodied figure for every panel? They do in JoJo constantly. Yeah, that's true. They do. Yeah. No. Okay, I've read, like, a couple volumes of it, but it's... <laughs> that whole... So you don't watch the anime or read the manga if they if the head's too small, if the proportions are off? Nah, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I do that? Also, like, those pecs are so big, it's distracting. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, next question. You got any, wait, wait, does Rachel oh, have yeah. any opinions on these big No, Rachel's... No, nope. no, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Okay, fair enough. All right, we have a question from uh, Grace Kale. K-A-Y-U. Yeah, Grace, Grace is cool. It makes some great comics. They ask, uh, who's your favorite Soprano character? And also, big fan of your illustration, love the spread in Bagel High. Oh, yeah. I didn't hear that question. I was looking at my phone. <laughs> you, you couldn't hear the question because you were looking at your phone. Yeah, you Alrighty. can't read and hear at the same time. Say it one more time, okay. please. Yeah. Who's sorry. your favorite Sopranos character? Oh, man. It, it's hard because like I feel like I'm going to be judged because you guys are the real Pranos boys. Probably Polly. That's a good choice. Yeah. You know what? You know what? Fuck that. Fuck that. The main guy. Tony? <laughs> Tony, I love guy. Tony. Yeah, Tony's, <laughs> you know, the Sopranos. <laughs> I, just Soprano. this en- <laughs> I just watched this entire show like a couple months ago again, and I it's already all gone. No, I love Tony. <laughs> He's got a great arc. He's beautiful. He's yeah. very, yeah. I love him. Yeah, checks out. Do you watch The Sopranos, Rachel, or have you seen it? You know, I haven't. That's that's one of those things from that era that I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll watch it eventually. And it's actually, we're about to start watching it pretty soon. We have finally oh. reached that part of our quarantine. Yeah. But I'm, I'm still Sick. behind the times. I apologize. Oh, well, you'll have to check in when you start. I will. Yeah. It's not yeah, a mob movie. Well, it's a comedy. We're, we're starting a Patreon and we're going to have guests come back. So we'll bring you back on to talk about Sopranos when you're done. Uh, gladly. For a Patreon episode. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, next question. Let's see here. Okay, this is for Michael specifically from Rob Mursky. Ask Sweater how he manages to balance working on an endless amount of projects at the same time and also ask him to send me his pitch. I can reread that without the pitch thing if you want. <laughs> no, that's fine. Okay. No, I, I wanted to do a little a little thing with them at some point. They're like a pretty good cartoonist. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, I just got some of their books uh, last week. Yeah, they've got like a really good like 90s indie style. I'm not yeah. talking about Rob Mursky. I don't know. I think the I think the answer is that I'm late on everything. I'm constantly overwhelmed. I've never turned a project in on time. And <laughs> you just have to surf and just be cool. Like you just take on more than you can possibly do, and then you freak out and do everything late. 
Yeah, I love how yeah. earlier Rachel's like, yeah, you just got to prove that you're reliable and consistent. And then you're over here like, oh. I'm just late for everything. No, no, no. For comics, that is consistent and reliable. That's but true. To be true, fair, that's true. true. Yeah, true, yeah. No, like, for sure. Yeah. Everything gets like comes out later than it's supposed to. And Comics yeah. is on punk time. Also, yep. I'm getting better at it as I get older. Yeah. But that actually might not be true. I, I refuse to commit to that. <laughs> Okay, next question is from Sean Knickerbocker on oh. Instagram. Hi, Sean. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sean, they ask, this is Michael, a callback. Why do you hate my Risograph Poetry comics? And why are people trying to bait me? Okay. Because <laughs> they know they can. If you can. Yeah, this is this is our audience, Michael. If somebody wants to print. Yeah. Re- Have you not listened to the show before? <laughs> Listen, I sent in the the thing baiting people earlier about Rizograph Comics. But no, it's. Okay. It's not that it's Rizograph. This is just payback. <laughs> it's not that it's Rizograph. It's that people think just because it's Rizograph, you can charge 12 bucks for 20 pages. That's my problem. Also. Stop doing that. Just draw comics. Like, we already know how it works. It already works fine. You don't need to add another thing to it. Uh, except for covers. I like Rizograph covers. Honestly, like, my favorite Riso comics are oily <laughs> comics. Like, were those all Rizograph? the simple black oh, and yeah. white line art stuff that Chuck Forsman and his cohorts were doing. I thought those when were he still yeah. had oily comics. Like, those are my favorite. They, they're the and those are all like black thing. and white. Not, yeah, they're, yeah. they're not, sh- you know, they don't show off or anything. They're simple black and white comics. Were they yeah. really doing that with a Rizograph printer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I went on there. That's how I know how to use Riso. It was Chuck taught me. They don't look any different than a Xerox comic. Why would you do that much extra they work? They smell different, though. And I, they feel different. I now hate It's actually more. cheaper. No, that's the, the real really? answer, Mike, is that producing on Riso is cheaper. Oh, you... I heard that, like, that was supposed to be, like, the cheapest form of printing and, like, why it was developed, because it was, like, yeah. mass copies that's, that's for the cheapest That's why machines price. even still exist and hang out in church basements and stuff, because it's very affordable. I'm so mad right yeah. now. Everybody's charging more for something that's cheaper. Yeah, I was going to say, this well, is actually going to fuel your anger. Well, because they're doing all, like, the anger. crazy, like, four and six color <laughs> stuff that's, like, super hard to get the alignment right. The so, like, they put a ton of effort and time into it. And so that's yeah. why they cost more. But, like, the actual, like, paper and ink, while it's pricey, like, your price per unit, if you, especially if you're only doing one color, should be very low. Yeah. All I'm saying is black and white copies are 2.7 cents on bestvaluecopy.com. So I just think that's like a good tip. Really? Are you sponsored by them? No, I it's mean just... not when you factor in shipping. Oh, uh, it's free shipping. I'm trying to think like if you order more than a hundred dollars a piece, they were eight to twelve pages each. You could do four up on an eight and a half by eleven. This is too much math. No Nobody wants, wants to, to hear me this. <laughs> yeah. You listen to Gutter Boys. We're doing some math right now. <laughs> no, I hate poetry because nobody knows what the hell people are trying to say. And I hate Rizographs because people think they can charge a lot for it. I don't hate all Rizograph or poetry comics, though. It's also that so many of them are so beautiful. And then I look at them and I'm like, oh, this comic's going to be beautiful. And then I look at them like, this is a bunch of illustrations on the same page. And it's mm. always disappointing. But not everything's for me. Alrighty, next question comes from Frank, Instagram user Sadboy Angerman. How does Michael stay so cute while being so angry? I'm seeing that happen right now. Could in front yeah. of me. The video chat. Yeah. I think it's like <laughs> it's animal charisma. <laughs> like I don't I don't wash my face because that's like it keeps in some of the energy and I have that like vital glow. You only use water to wash your face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm mad that everybody's asking me questions. <laughs> I have a quick question. Yeah. Actually, related to that. So, follow up. When you shower, yeah. do you wash your legs? Yes. 
Okay. It's on the way to the feet. Yeah, is that a thing that people don't? A lot of people don't wash their legs for some reason. You're not going to hit your legs hmm. when you're going down to wash your feet? It's bizarre. Do Who doesn't? What do they just think the soap runs down from your yep. upper body? Yep. What the That's fuck? not how that works. Yeah, I know. It's disgusting. I don't want to eat off any of these people's dishes. <laughs> it had soapy water on it. No, you start at the very top oh, and you just God. work down piece by piece. That is that is no joke, unironically, how they think it works. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, anyway. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, okay, next question is from uh, Brobot on Instagram. They ask, how do y'all feel about returning to abandoned projects? You first, because people are just trying to bait me. As somebody who's actually reworking a, a project to be repitched, I would, like, generally speaking, it's something I would advise against because, like, just finish what you're doing and move forward, right? But- as somebody who's also doing the thing right now, like, <laughs> I think it can be beneficial to take a pre-existing idea that either didn't get finished or that you never started and reimagine it into a new project. Like you can take the same themes or even the same basic outline or whatever and do something new with it. But if, if you're talking about like picking up a project that you wrote, you know, five years ago and drawing it as you wrote it five years ago, like, don't do that. It's not going to be as good as you are today. Like, do something new. Also, stop abandoning stuff. You learn so yeah. much more by finishing. And I, I feel yep. like that's so understated. The act of completely finishing a project, like, a lot of people are like, no, I got to like rewrite this part because I don't like this character. It's like, you don't even know what that character should be doing because you've never finished a book. So you don't know what you need them to do to finish a book. Mm-hmm. So you just, just do the whole do the whole thing. But also, I, I love doing it. I love going back to that. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> Hell yeah. Cam, what about you? Because I think that question's for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I just abandoned a project that I'm planning on returning to when I'm in the headspace to complete it. So we did talk about that. Yeah. But I mean, that that is on that's not because, you know, I'm too lazy and I don't want to work on it. It's just because I don't have the emotional capacity to process working on something so personal at this exact moment. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just to be honest, it just has to like I, I'm pretty much working through my mother's death <laughs> in comics, Ooh. you know, like and I'm just not ready. Like, I, I want that to be good when it comes out. Yeah. And I'm just not ready to do that. So that's why I abandoned that. But no, I mean, I'm the king of abandoning shit. You know, I'll just have an idea, but then it's just like, I usually try to abandon it in the pre-production stages. Smart. You know, like I I try to marinate on things and, you know, but if I abandon a project, like usually if it gets past thumbnails, I'm not going to abandon it. But, you know, anything before that's game. What about you? I've only abandoned two projects and they were about eight or 12 pages in for each one. So it wasn't like a big loss. Right, right. Hell yeah. I don't know. After, after 10 pages, like, I'm I'm invested. I'm like, well, I've got to finish. <laughs> it's easier when you hate your work anyway. <laughs> so. Everybody does, though. I don't really think about it too much. For me, it's just like, if I, it's very rare that I abandon something past thumbnails, but it's just because I don't want to draw something that many more times. Like, that's usually the deciding factor. Am I having fun drawing this? If I have to draw something 100 times, do I want to draw this 100 times? You know, so it's like that decision, like as far as like, you know, being happy with your job, because, you know, much like a day job, you know, if you're doing comics on the side or, you know, full time, you know, you want to be happy to some degree with the work you're having to do. So that's another reason why, you know, I could potentially abandon something. But yeah. Does anybody like their own work? I've never sure, met yeah. anybody that does, I don't think, that, well, 
I don't know. I think like every artist hates their shit. That's like the shtick, right? Well, it's not every artist. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Hate's a strong word, but like you're actually looking yeah. at your art to a degree that no other human will. Right, right. Yeah. It's like that thing of when you realize an actor has the thing of like the one tooth that's directly in the middle. There's not like a gap in the middle. There's one tooth on the top. You know what I'm talking about? Like right in the center of the mouth. It's not a real like, thing. Well, no, that is a thing. Like your teeth can be misaligned. There's like a couple okay. actors who uh, you notice it after seeing them in like 12 movies. And like, that's the thing of like the thing you're freaked out about your art. Like nobody's seeing that unless they're really invested. And if they're that invested, you got their it. money anyway. What do you you're mean? seeing it in the actor. Yeah, after like 12 movies, they got a lot of my money already. Oh, true, yeah. Also, at this point, I love them. I'm not going to not watch somebody's movie because they got a little misaligned tooth. That's even cute. So, yeah, there's like a couple, there's like a tooth thing where like the bottom row juts out that I have. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't like do a U-turn. It just keeps going straight. And Daniel Radcliffe has that. And I didn't notice till recently. So now I call it my Daniel Rad tooth. (laughs) Nice. Okay. But yeah, like, yeah, you don't see everything. But yeah, yeah, so nobody should be hard on their work because you're seeing it way differently than everybody else. Alrighty, and Instagram user Matt underscore Greaves wrote in and said, question for everyone, if you could take over or resurrect any comic strip, what would it be? I know Cam's answer. I wouldn't do Nancy because I would never live up to, like professionally do Nancy, I could never. I'm not I smart enough. Know, man. If somebody came up to you seriously and gave you that gig, you would do it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like if it paid. Yeah. yeah. In my mind, I would like to think that I would, I'm would i not good enough to do that. But I would like to, uh, if I could take over any strip, I think I would bring Kathy back. That's an easy strip Hell to write, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... So would, would you try and stay in line with the with the traditional Kathy strips or would you would it be No, a, you gotta turn it on its head. Yeah, no, no. I yeah, would I would yeah. like I would not <laughs> change anything. Kathy. I would just I would just like, you know <laughs> I would just give Kathy a Fitbit and that would be, you know, that would be the bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> Kathy right. freaking you know, about always, only fans. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'd read the shit out of that. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah. Not I'm not lying. Yeah, that'd be would be pretty good. I generally don't want to do anybody else's stuff, but I would take over Dilbert if it meant that Scott Adams had to shut up for like five minutes. Yeah, and you would do a good job with that, I think. Oh, I yeah. I collect Dilbert shit. I love Dilbert. Like, I know all the lore, but like Scott Adams has lost his fucking mind and needs to shut the fuck up for like 10 minutes. There's a robotic Eminem Dilbert dispenser at a half price books by my house if you need it. I think it's like 10 bucks. <laughs> If you if you pick that up for me, I will I'll pay you for it. Like I have like Yeah. And the thing is also like he used to be like kinda like, haha, he's my problematic fave, and so I could wear my Dilbert shirts and it was fine, but now he's like lost his mind, so like I can't wear Dilbert shirts outside anymore. <laughs> I thought he lost his mind a while ago. Oh, he did, but it was like cute, like I believe in the secret hypnotism cute, and now he's like weird Twitter right wing person in a way that's like really uncomfortable. I thought he was always like that. I don't know. Okay. He was a little bit. It's gotten really bad over the last four years. To, like, I like watching crazy people do shit online, and it's too much for me at this point. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, What if he got a TikTok account? <laughs> <laughs> he, ha- he has a daily podcast that's an hour and a half every day that he records on Periscope. Oh, fuck. Wait, just him? Just him talking about- Yeah, that that person's demented. I think he has, like, social media brain, because, like, he's crazier now than he was, which is, like, saying a lot, because he's always been insane. I don't trust anyone that does a solo podcast. No, no, no. You you have to be, like, completely out of your mind to do that, to just sit in an empty room and talk for an hour. No, like- Or more. 
just rambling. I would listen to it almost every day just because it's hilarious to like hear somebody like try to make shit make sense. Like I, I just yeah. like listening to people who are really like crazy like talk. But like he, I, I stopped like a couple months ago when he got into like Joe Biden numerology shit. Like Joe Biden's <laughs> oh, name has oh, this man, many letters, <laughs> and I'm not saying it's like too much when it's every day for an hour. But. Sure, yeah. I mean, I get it. I, I watch King Cobra on YouTube sometimes. I get it. Oh, that shit's so you're like, cool. I get crazy. it. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about King Cobra until like a month ago. Oh yeah, <laughs> Mike, Mike, Mike Dick over at Virtual Press loves King Cobra. Anyway, Dude, sorry. Maddie got a uh, King Cobra wand for Christmas last year. <laughs> <laughs> What's King Cobra? No, we sorry, can't, we can't talk sorry. about this. On the yeah. God. Wait, what is King Cobra? Uh, you know, just look no. up King Cobra on YouTube when you're done. Okay. It's this guy who gets on YouTube and he's just nope, like a true Cam, dirt freak. Okay, sorry. Right <laughs> yeah, right. Ra- uh, Rachel, uh, what comic would you, uh, what comic strip would you do? I mean, I feel like the obvious answer that I'm yeah. supposed to say is Garfield. We actually had a uh, question, not a question, but Avi from Silver Sprocket wrote in and said, for Rachel, if I send you my Garfield collection, would you draw in the missing buttholes? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> so you're Garfield. If you took over the strip, would Garfield have a butthole? Yes. Okay. They got a new shirt with Garfield with a butthole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, JV, what strip are you taking over? I could see you resurrecting like one of the old Milton Kane of things like a Steve Canyon or a Buck Rogers or something like that. That sounds yeah. like something they're going to try to do and make no money doing. I right. Think, I think Dynamite yeah. already tried to do like long form comics of it, right? Maybe not, but I just feel like some kind of IP farmhouse like IDW or something probably has already tried that. I know they tried to bring back Barbarella. I would do Dick Tracy and then just make it only about the criminals. <laughs> Hell yeah. Just no cops, no dick. <laughs> just the criminals because they are the coolest part of the strips for sure you should just do that yeah yeah i still have like a stack of uh tracy villain drawings that i was supposed to put together a zine for and just never did it didn't you do that for like inktober weren't you doing tracy villains every day i did yeah they're just sitting on my desk do you guys Hell both yeah. do like drawing zines me and jb do both of you do it because i know i know jb does i did like one drawing zine, but I if I put something out, it's just like a comic usually. Yeah. So are are the drawing zines like fun to put out? Like, is that something that should be, would it be fun to do? <laughs> I guess it just depends on what you like drawing, right? I'm not going to do like 30 drawings of something I don't care about. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's usually something that is relevant to my interests, like, you know, the Tracy villains or the wrestlers and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I've got, the first thing I ever got was the mean zine? Oh yeah, but that one th- that one is just a collection of like sketches. Yeah. It's not so much like I didn't draw those things specifically for that zine. Oh, okay. if that makes any sense. Yeah. Whereas you know the Buffy thing and the Tracy stuff and whatever, those were all things that I wanted to draw and specifically with the intent to collect them. So, but now you got guys like Kickley doing it, and I'm just like, what's the point of me even doing this? <laughs> it's like you know, I think fun. they're a nice thing to have on the table. Yeah, but, they're fun. Yeah, yeah, they're but you know, I mean, at the end of the day, and not to discount anybody that's done one, but at the end of the day, it's not the same as a comic, you know. No, so not at all. Yeah, it's just a totally different thing. So it's just another thing to have on a table too. Yeah, when you're it's just doing merch. a con or whatever. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ian Densford on Instagram writes, "What reference books do you love slash have, and what comics are you reading or rereading in 2020?" 
So I'm going to deflect because there's reference books that I love and have, but they're part of like a series that I do not have all of yet. And they're not in print, so I'm not going to tell anyone about them. But I mean, I reread like Bone every year, just like basic shit, just to see how big arcs work. I'm rereading Bakuman right now for like the 90th time, just because I don't actually like that book so much. It's just interesting that they're able to keep tension and drama with like a really boring subject matter. Oh, totally. mm -hmm. Well, Bakuman's for like people who don't know is like a comic about some kids who like want to become comic creators and it's yeah, literally it's, it's awesome it's a 20 volume set but all that they did just these fuckers drawing comics for 20 books <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, they're just like sitting in rooms and then sitting in other rooms and then yelling at each other at a meeting and then going to another room and it's 20 books of it and it's like dramatic tension's perfect like it's it's, it's really good so yeah i uh read an interview is that like the mad men of comics Kind of, but it's like, oh, it's all about like manga and like working in the Shonen Jump, you know, magazines. Yeah, um, yeah. I was reading like about Bakuman and somebody, I forgot who, somebody asked another cartoonist what it's like to make manga and that person instructed the question asker to read Bakuman. So apparently it's pretty like true to like how the industry works over there. It was in Shonen Jump and it was made by people who had previously done Death Note. Right. I'm actually not super into their drawing styles because they also got little heads, big bodies, but it's not quite as bad. (laughs) Um, So I've never read any of their other stuff, but it's like apparently basically exactly the inner workings, but up for dramatic effect. The Mm, cool thing about Bakuman is when like, because it's all drawn in one style, except for whenever it shows the uh, character's manga. So the manga is drawn in a different, like the manga in the manga is drawn in a different style. And that shit is awesome. But also there's like all the other mangas they're competing against mm -hmm. in there too. And also if you buy the like full set, there's like a special chapter from like a humor manga in it. That's really good. Sick. Yeah. What have you been reading, Rachel? I really loved uh, Snapdragon, which came out earlier this year, which is a middle grade graphic novel. I think it's by Kat Leahy, and I liked it enough that I bought it, and I've read it several times. Because um, I, I just get ebooks most of the time because I can't afford to buy comics. But I got That's, Snapdragon. That is the most comic then, thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. But then um, I also I've also purchased this year. I uh, I got the book Go with the Flow, and it's it's by two different people, and it, so I'm blanking on their names. But that's by first second. It, when you first look at it, you're like, oh, well, that's a period book for girls. But it's actually about like the history of feminism and self advocacy. Okay. Um, not not even the history of self advocacy, but like being a middle grade person and trying to advocate for yourself and your friends against a school system and a patriarchal faculty that maybe just like doesn't care about you because they think that you're overreacting about something Mm -hmm. and uh it's very empowering and it's really a story about friendship and i love it and i think it was done really really well and i enjoyed it sorry i'm i'm dumb what does middle grade mean oh it's for like you know like when you're in middle school Uh, (laughs) i didn't know that i thought that was some sort of specific term i was yeah okay like middle earth (laughs) Uh, yeah i don't know i don't know (laughs) Do you guys use reference material when you're working? Like, I'm getting into, like, a specific kind of reference material, but, like, I don't really utilize that sort of thing. I have one of those little, like, dolls, because I draw a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) sitting on the desk. Yeah. Is it one of the wood ones or the gray ones? The the gray ones, the plastic ones that are, like, super articulate. Yeah. Depending on what it is that, because there's like certain things that I will need to go back and look at some sort of reference in terms of anatomy. Just to, it's usually very, very specific and only here and there. It's not all the time. 
And and then like stuff that I normally don't draw, like cars or you know whatever. Like how many of you all are going to draw a horse? Right, right. Oh, never. Yeah, right. It's just you, you need some kind of thing. And who enjoys that? I don't know. We're doing a fantasy anyway. book in a world that very specifically does not have horses in it. Hell yeah. Yeah. Work smarter, not harder. Yeah. I mean, I think Mobius figured that out after doing all those Westerns. He's just got lizard people oh, and all horses and everything after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? Oh, man, doing a Western, as much as I want to do it, sounds so painful. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's. It's just horses and wagons and old-timey buildings. And mm-hmm. also, like, your only audience is going to be, like, 50-year-old dudes and the worst kinds yeah. of them. Yeah. Unless you have a specific approach and yeah. style that's, you know, but... Yeah. Melanie Gilman did a story that is set in a Civil War era. It's not, like, really a Western, but you've got horses and carriages and people in fancy dress and stuff. But, again, it's for, like, a queer, femme, trans audience. They really made it their own within the the illustrative trappings, the things that we're all trying to avoid drawing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Melanie really took them and was like, oh, I'm going to do the thing and did a really good job with it for the audience that they had in mind. Nice. Yeah, we'll respect to that because I would definitely not be able to do that. All righty. So the next question, uh, actually, hang on. Before I get into the questions that Michael sent us, Avi sent over a couple more Okay, no, Sweater is such a shit talker. This is going to be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm keeping it to a minimum. Yeah, I figured that you would be a little more surly. Um, But also, Rachel's here with me. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll have to bring you back on the Patreon episodes when we do news and just shit talk. (laughs) (laughs) We're just quiet, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I'm sure that you that you have other other listeners like me. We're just not gonna. Yeah, we're not very chatty. I guess we're quiet people. <laughs> I don't know if we were if this was not a podcast recording. If this was like us hanging out after a show. Yeah, I would be shit talking more. Fair I've enough. trained yeah. myself out of doing yeah. it publicly. Oh uh, yeah, that's yeah. Fair. Our friend, yeah. you have a career to. We have a friend that just <laughs> got it. a deal with Fanagraphics and was like kind of distancing themselves yeah. from us somewhat. But now, or we'll just get people that specifically want to be on the show because they know we will let them talk welcome it. yeah yeah <laughs> shoot <laughs> all righty so friend of the show alex Nall wrote in and asked what are the pros and cons of flipping between working digitally and traditionally i think the only benefit to digital is the fact that you can resize stuff like i do all of my loose pencils and writing oh, digitally, yeah. that's exactly what i was gonna and say then Anything else, I only do digitally if I'm like forced to because of some sort of like I don't have big enough paper or something. I think that's like a really personal thing that everybody should explore in their own time. But definitely make sure you try working traditionally. Like also traditionally is so much faster. Like penciling and inking. Like you think so? Yeah, yeah, it's way faster. Like I've got this huge fucking Cintiq, and I literally throw a cutting mat on it and use it as like a drawing board ninety percent of the time. (laughs) Oh my god. Send it to me. No. I, I need it for coloring yeah. and I need it for like when I do some like animation job stuff occasionally. I need to have it, but I, it's not preferable. I hate it. Computers are stupid. Hmm. I pretty much thumbnail everything, pencils, and like I'll work out like, you know, designs traditionally, but everything past thumbnailing is pretty much digital for me at this point. So the thing that I do love about computers when I write books, I have a file that has 200 blank pages on it. And when I thumbnail in quotes, I'm actually just mm-hmm. loose penciling the book in the same file and everything's there and I can kind of jump around. That's like an amazing thing you can't do on paper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But everything else is yeah. it just it's so slow for me. And like, 
at the volumes I'm trying to work at, it just isn't feasible. That's interesting. Huh. I'm, I'm the opposite. I always found digital for me personally to be quicker than analog. Yeah, and it, it to me, digital takes a lot of the fear of fucking oh, up yeah, out of it. Definitely. So it's like you know, I'm willing to take more risks and you know, and not waste supplies and have to like white everything out because my first few comics were all traditional. But yeah, yeah, I'm definitely staying in a digital yeah. lane. It's just I don't know. I mean, there's definitely pros and cons to it. You know, I don't have originals anymore. That sucks. But also, I don't really have a market for people trying to buy my originals. So what the fuck does that matter? See, I hate having originals. <laughs> like I just. Have these fucking stacks of paper all over my office that I'm not allowed to throw away. Well, why don't you sell them for additional income? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't got time for that. It's, that sounds like another job. <laughs> if there's any art dealers listening, I have hundreds of pages that you can sell for twenty bucks a pop. <laughs> yeah, how do you feel about that? I mean, you know, I I'm faster with a pencil and a paper than I am on my tablet. And I know that they, they now make, I don't know, screen protectors or whatever to offset this, but there's something about the, the lack of the tooth on the page that it just it doesn't quite lay down the same. So then I end up spending a lot of time redrawing the same lines over and over and over again when I'm working digitally. So in that regard, for me, I'm, I'm an analog person as well. I also very much dis- dislike having all the originals around though. And so that's something that I love about conventions is I can bring my folders of originals with me to conventions and, you know, I'll usually sell a handful of pages at any given show and just like ever so slowly mm-hmm. get them out of my apartment and in the hands of people who will love to own them. One of the things about drawing on the computer, I do draw a lot on the computer. Like I've I've drawn hundreds of pages of comics digitally, but there's a thing of like, you don't see the density of image. How do you say that? There aren't enough pixels in the universe for the line to actually like, I can like sit up with a page and look at the line Mm -hmm. and do the line, but on the computer, I got to zoom in a lot. Hmm. And that action of like zooming in and moving around really hinders the process. Like, like I spend so much time fucking just mucking around the page trying to figure out where I am. And like, (laughs) you can just see it in real life. Yeah. But you can see if the line is good without zooming in. Exactly. I think that's the Well, and I can see how the panel or that piece of artwork interacts with the rest of the page. You know, I could just like lean back in my chair slightly (laughs) and be like, good, and then just keep on going. (laughs) No, like, that's the thing is I've looked at some of my digital comics where it's clear that I had zoomed in and the the, like lines Mm. are like a little too thick in a panel. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I wasn't looking at the other panels while I was drawing it because you can't. Yeah, I I just also hate computers, so (laughs) everybody should follow their dreams, but also they should just draw on paper. We figured this shit out. It works. It's perfect. (laughs) Like, you don't got to fix it. But also, you like drawing on computers. That's fine, I guess. No, I mean, I like both. And to to me personally, I don't think you can beat just aesthetically an analog drawing. I don't know. Like, no matter how advanced brushes get or programs get, it's still not the same. There are some newer people who I think probably learn to draw digitally who have really embraced the aesthetic oh, yeah. and like have really pulled some shit off where like they're clearly not trying to replicate what mm-hmm. a brush line looks like. They're trying to make the computer be what the computer is. And I think that can be like really beautiful. But yeah, just trying to like replicate like nibs and stuff. I don't think that works very well. Yeah, it's tricky. It, it is very tricky. So last question is from It's Merrick V on Instagram. They ask, how do you feel about folks charging $15 for black and white 12-page scene-sized <laughs> comics? God damn it. <laughs> Man, we are getting I a certain kind of- I think they spend too much of, producing uh, it. That's like art book yeah. fair prices. <laughs> yeah. This feels I, very targeted, too, because of what you said earlier about yeah. the Rizo book, so- 
I don't have a Twitter anymore, but I spent about half my time on Twitter just bitching about how expensive comics were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this this does feel targeted. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Ten cents a page is that? The, I don't know. Uh, to what? Well, you know what? I mean, no. what was somebody I I, who's charging that, that was for like, a twelve-page black and white zine? Yeah, like a a twelve-page zine that should be like two bucks. Right? Maybe maybe four at the most. But who's doing that? I can't even think of an example of that. I think it just, yeah. Like if it's 12 pages, I mean five at yeah. most. Like I think five is- There's a lot of art book fair people. Oh, that's yeah, a whole other creature totally though. That's, don't get me started yeah, yeah. on the art fair book stuff. That's. I think a lot of people's just comics in general are a little on the expensive side, mm-hmm. which I, I think comes from a lot of people in comics not having like a material understanding of what money is. Or just like, because that's the thing is like a lot of people are like selling like a 20 page zine and it's like 12 bucks, for instance. And it's like, that's, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to buy a hamburger. <laughs> I can't afford this. Yeah. I think it just depends, you know, like if you've got like, if it's a really nice production, you know, I'm not, I'm not justifying a $15 price tag on anything that's 12 pages, but like, I guess there's always the exception to the rule, you know, if uh, like, yeah. uh, who's the, uh, I guess those weren't like 12 page zines, but there was like a person, uh, oh fuck, who was it? JB, there's somebody who was doing like those crazy cool looking 3D pop out comics at Cake. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I forget the yeah. name. Really cool dude, actually. Um, very, very nice. And but the like, work's amazing. That's like a whole thing, though. Yeah, right. So, like, I, I can see, but, you know, in, in theory, that's less than 12 pages, but does it justify the price? T- but I guess the question was specifically, like, zine-sized. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I can't think of an example of that. When you go to conventions, there's always, like, the kids who, like, are clearly going to a local art college who have like way too marked up stuff and especially in like not like smaller regional cons are like filthy with this i don't think the price is that bad necessarily but people are putting some outrageous prices on zines mm-hmm. but i mean the old rule was 10 page 10 cents a page right that was like the classic zine rule i mean that that sounds right i mean i've always yeah. done it based on the cost of production and i've always made yeah. a point to right make my cost of production as low as possible to keep my prices as low as possible to make sure that my work is accessible you know like yeah. that that's more yeah. important to me than you know I, I'm, I'm not the type of person necessarily that's creating an object to create an art you know and there's mm-hmm. perceived value right you can charge ten dollars for a comic that maybe is only worth five or 20 for something you would normally charge 10 or 15 for mm-hmm. and so you know that that's something to bear in mind, but some people do certainly go overboard for it, you know? Like the example that I'll use is is t-shirts because that's super easy. Like, you know, it'll cost you $5 to make a t-shirt. So you're thinking, okay, you know, you figure cost addition to make a new one plus taxes, you go times it by three, you go 15. But if someone's going to pay $15 for that shirt, they'll also pay 20, you know? But I don't think that that's where people are coming from when they're charging $15 for a 10 page book or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) hell yeah frankie got on the podcast yeah (laughs) all righty so that about wraps it up for questions and uh, we do want to thank rachel and michael for coming on the show today where can people find you all on social media go ahead and plug your stuff uh you can find me online at mixtapecomics.com and across social media as mixtape comics uh you can also read the original backlog of frankie comics at frankiecomics.com hell yeah you can find me at michaelsweater.com. 
and at Michael Sweater on Instagram. And that's it. That's all I got. I went to your uh, website earlier, Michael, and it's great because it's just like mentioning. It's like a strip that mentions how nobody goes to websites anymore. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram too much. You can come there, see my drawings. I post comics, some memes about just me trying to bait people by talking about how America doesn't produce enough good comics. That's it. Yeah, I saw your post today and you were mentioning uh, starting a Finsta. I think you should uh, not be a coward and just post on Maine. I don't know what that means. <laughs> just uh... so. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm not actually. My understanding. Finsta is when you're posting like nudes, right? Or is it different? Oh, I just. Uh, Finsta is like a ratchet memes. No. You know, just like a, an Instagram, a burner Instagram account that you would not want to be associated with. Like you don't endorse it publicly. It's like a fake Insta, uh, like for content that you're too ashamed to post on your main account. All right. Well, I'll post yeah. on main. You can follow at die for comics for my comics memes. <laughs> and that's it. Hell yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again for you both for coming on to the show. We really appreciate it. And looking forward to uh, hopefully crossing paths again yeah. or, you know, in real life. When all this uh, COVID stuff is over. Yeah. Hopefully. Looking forward yeah. To it. And uh, go buy both of their books. And then we can we can talk shit. Yeah, you can buy my books. <laughs> yeah, buy their books. You can get them at uh, through Diamond. So any comic shop should be able to order them. You know, you've got the Wizard Volume 1 and Frankie Comics by Rachel. So uh, order those and uh, support your local shop and uh, these fellow cartoonists here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, that's bye. It. bye. <laughs> so uh, as always, uh, you know, you can find us at Gutter Boys Pod on social media. I am at Cam Del Rosario. JB is at Mort Crimp Jr. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you all listening. And as always, stay gutter. sound like an alien.